0: Smith's Falls welcome to on this is a podcast all about Smith's Falls where me Matt Connell gets to interview some of the wonderful people that call our town home and this time I have Smith's Falls born and raised he left for a while and then he came back Mr. Mark Quatrochi now mark is on the board of directors of big brothers big sisters we talk about that he also rode his bike around the world he rode it around the world folks it took him years to do it he wrote a book about it he gives talks about it and gives talks about other things very interesting guy very well traveled very worldly man right here in our little hometown of smith's falls a little plug from Mark and Big Brothers Big Sisters while I'm at it. Their next big event is the Bowl for Kids' Sake. It's a bowling event. It's their largest annual fundraiser and they bowl in three locations across Lanark County. The campaign runs through January and February at which time they do actually do some bowling on February 26th. That's Feb 26th, 2022. Last time they ran this campaign, they raised over $90,000. Awesome. Let's see if they can do better than that this year bowl for kids sake fundraising starting in the new year with the event happening on february 26 2022 for big brothers big sisters in lanark county show them some love i had a blast chatting with mark and i think you will find his stories oh so interesting because i sure did but first before we get to that let's have a little word from our sponsors so folks, we have some special messages for you today because we have a multi-sponsor event to share with you. We are bringing you a Christmas show. Amber McLean plays the Station Theater. This will be Amber's third Smith's Falls annual concert. This year, Amber is bringing her show to the Smith's Falls Station Theater. Two nights to choose from, December 3rd and December 4th. Supporting that concert and our show here today is Say To Bakery. We love Say To Bakery. Amy's been on our show before and she wanted to support both our podcast and this wonderful holiday seasonal event on December 3rd and 4th at the Station Theater. Go see Amy at her new location at the Rideau Hotel on Beckwith. Grab a loaf of bread, grab a scone, grab a croissant, or grab lunch or get catering for your next event. They do it all, folks. As well, supporting us, we have Howard, Kelford, and Dubois. They are just down the street from us here on Main Street. They are barristers and solicitors, aka lawyers, folks. I use them to help buy my house. They can help you to you buying, you selling, you have some estate issues, any other kind of legal issues, they are there to help. Community focused law firm valleylaw.ca is where you can check them out and the arts hub is helping bring on this show you can buy tickets for the december 3rd and or december 4th christmas show with amber at the station theater at ticketsplease.ca that's ticketsplease.ca another local source for commerce it is ottawa valley events that they deal with brought to you by the folks at the hum also supporting this show is the town of Smith's Falls on the roll program. Very supportive of the arts, our town. Love it, love it, love it. That's it for sponsored talk folks on to my incredibly interesting talk with Mark Quatrochi. Let's get right in front yep, of that mic. Right there, we there, there we go. There we is. go. That's, that's, the sweet that's what spot you're looking right for. There. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Great. So. Mm-hmm. First off, I need to know how I pronounce your last name. Will be Quatrochi. Quatrochi. Yeah. Quatrochi. Yeah. I find that a lot easier than the way my wife was telling me <laughs> to pronounce it. It wasn't that different. She was right. saying she just wasn't getting the W in there. She was saying Qua. Quatrochi. Quattroci, Quattroci, yeah, Quattroci, Quattroci. If you want to
1: say it the Italian way, you got to, you got You got to do the whole thing. Quattrochi. So it gets a,
0: it's, it it loses the ch. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's like an
1: English Canadian thing. Yeah, yeah. So people can actually say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People like their phonetic pronunciations. My
0: brother's big on that stuff, especially for Italian, because he's into cooking. He's like, ah, he's always (laughs) correct. Bruschetta, (laughs) bruschetta, (laughs) bruschetta. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) So you, uh, Mark Quattrochi. Yeah, you got it. Mark Quatroci. Perfect. So we have Mark Quattrochi on the show today, everybody. And this is actually a first for me in that this is the first time I've had a guest on the show that I hadn't met before. I mean, yeah. we've, we've e-met.
1: That like two Just emails, to, three emails, maybe yeah, max. Emails. That was about it. Yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah. and now that, now that I realize your daughter takes music lessons next door, um, I think I recognize you from having probably been popping a in there, I think, here I, I and think there. I've seen you. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but nice to meet you, Mark. And thanks so yeah, much for coming on the show. It's
1: an absolute pleasure.
0: So a little backstory for the listeners. I, I, I e-met Mark, uh, due to some outreach from big brothers, big sisters. I, from there went on to learn that you are a motivational speaker. You wrote a book, you rode your bike around the friggin' world. <laughs> <laughs> some awesome stuff so i mean i don't know i'm just gonna pick a place to start i guess please yeah big Where, brothers big sisters let's that's, start there yeah. yeah let's start there
1: that's what brought T- us together yeah. so that tell makes- me about that so that was uh for me um the thing that i would seem to be missing when i moved back to smith's falls and we can get into that i guess a little bit later yeah all those pieces but it was that piece where I felt like I need something in my life where I'm giving back in some way, where I'm connected to the community, um, connected with, with the young people in the community, the future generations. I look back at my experience in, as a young person here and, um, you know, I wasn't part of Big Brothers Big Sisters, but mm-hmm. I felt like I wish I was yeah. uh, in some way, uh, and just connecting with with other youth in the community because it's not just about you know having that mentor; it's also about youth connecting as well. Right. Um, and so, I want. I just reached out. I want to see how I could give back. Um, it started out as as me, you know, wanting to volunteer my time with with some youth, and eventually transformed to be on their board of directors as the co the, the vice chair. Yeah. Um and it's kind of it just kept going. Uh and it's it's been a, an amazing experience. I've learned I've learned a lot from the incredible people that are on the board as well as the amazing staff there and it's it's been it's been a great experience so far for me.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I've always sort of had the gist of of what Big Brother's Big Sisters is. It it seems fairly obvious, but I Now that I think about it, I don't really know the details. Like, what, when, when a kid signs up for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, what, what does that look like for them?
1: So essentially, it's, 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 a, a process where we're trying to find, depending on the, what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so, we have a lot of youth programs. So, it's more than just that one-to-one match. Um, that is, the tr- in the traditional sense, what Big Brother's Big Sister is, uh, you know, matching a, a young boy or girl with with a, an older mentor um, and, and looking to have an, an opportunity to connect in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we also do a lot of programs where it's a lot of youth getting together virtually obviously lately yeah. um so it really depends on the on the needs of the youth and what they want um just after school activities or maybe it's in school we do a lot of in-school programming as well yeah uh, and all that ha- went virtual obviously um but it's starting to kind of creep back to that in person we were able to do the camp this summer um nice. and we also have uh have whack as well which is is all dedicated to uh to, uh, you know, youth coming together.
0: Cool. So then do you do you have like a little brother?
1: Given my other commitments and time, uh, I've decided to commit my time specifically to the board of directors yep. um, and uh, my experience with like fundraising, those types of things. And so... Um, right now do not have like that match, but looking to uh, connect with a group of youth Um, later on, we have a program called uh, uh, Game On. Mm -hmm. And so it's specifically dedicated to um, supporting young boys in the community, but it's not in your traditional sense. It's not like, it's not all about like sports in that it's, Mm -hmm. it's more also talking about like big issues and stuff like that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So if somebody out there wanted to be a big brother or big sister, what what's that what do they need to do what does that look is there a vetting process Uh, is there an age requirement any other requirements like what does that look like for somebody
1: so specifically it would be just reaching out um we have a a volunteer director uh that would be the your point person you always there's obviously some some paperwork involved and background checks all those like uh traditional things that you would kind of expect with working with youth. Um mm-hmm. but essentially reaching out, uh you can reach out through the website, uh and I'll I'll just pull that up here and make sure I got it correct. It's uh it's a very long website. It's Lanark dot big brothers big sisters dot ca. dot big brothers big sisters dot ca and then you can either volunteer through there. Yeah. um or you can also you can, you can reach out directly by going to visit. Um obviously right. with COVID and all that stuff, maybe Maybe reaching out through via email will be best. Yeah. Um but yeah, definitely. We always looking for looking for matches mm-hmm. uh, for young people. We have a long wait waiting list actually of young people. Right. So
0: So the waiting list is on the young people side, yes. not on the on the older people yes. side. Yes. So high exactly.
1: need. High need, yeah. yeah. Specifically for those one to one matches. Mm-hmm. We can get um like a program like Game On or Go Girls or something like that um going. However, uh, when we can get the youth together, it's sometimes the issue is getting the volunteers out. So that's exactly what we need um, and what we're
0: looking for. And so what's the time commitment for for something like that?
1: Very minimal, really, like one hour a week kind of thing. Like at the minimum, really, I guess. Uh, And it depends on what your schedule is and all those different types of things. So when you think about one hour a week, it's not that huge um, in terms of like, actual commitment. Um, and a lot of the matches are even happening online still. So don't even have to leave your home sometimes. So, uh, it's, uh, it's not that, that big of a commitment. If you want to look, give back and connect with someone in the community, a young person, it's a great opportunity.
0: Yeah. Cool. So what about, what about the kids? I mean, how do you, is there, is, is there, I don't even know how to put this. I'm not sure what the question is. Let me think about it harder. Um, I mean, easy. It's easy for me to ask on the adult side: is their vetting process? That's the first natural question. But is there any sort of uh, criteria for for bringing a kid in? Is just 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 the want and the need on their side enough to to get them on that on that list and get them get them set up? Essentially,
1: yeah. Um, we want them to want to be there, or you know that yeah. that that's the yeah. ultimate. You know, they want to be present. They want to be a part of. Of, you know, whatever activity is, is happening, or even like being a part of that one-to-one match. Yeah. Um. So,
0: es- essentially, yeah. I feel like growing up, my my sort of my childhood, like very basic conception of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. When if I asked a grown-up or something, "Hey, what what is that?" The answer would be like, "Oh, well, that's for kids who don't have role models, who don't have." dads or who don't have older brothers, but that's probably not accurate.
1: No, it it would be, you know, just some young person looking for, you know, some extra time out doing something fun. Yeah. It does. I mean, there is that, I would say that stigma or that stereotype that this is what a young like person that is part of big brothers, big sisters is all about. Yeah. Um, But I would say that's not like, that's not what, the cases every yeah. time in, in any, in any shape or form.
0: Yeah. You're, so, so on, on, on the organization's end, they're not looking to sort of quant- quantify um, what that kid is missing. If they're coming and saying, I, I want to be a part of this, that's, that's enough for you.
1: Exactly. And right. everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own background. Everyone yeah. has their own, you know, their own lived experience. And so it's case by case, really. Yeah. And uh and that's why when we take in um for example, like a a mentor, we're looking for that match of someone that would be most beneficial for that young person. Yeah. Depending on their history and and, and um it's all obviously confidential and all those pieces. Um but we want to make a long lasting match. We don't want a match of a young person with with uh with a mentor that's gonna last one month. Yeah. We want something that's going to be and and people that are committed. Yeah. As well. So it's that it's that piece as well. Yeah, understandable. So it's a commitment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. So what's what's adult then? 18, You got eighteen year olds running in being big brothers, or should they be like twenty five? Any de- any what dem- counts as an yeah. adult?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, over over eighteen will yeah. be an adult. How- however, um, you know, it's obviously that commitment, that time, and and if you have that space in your life, right? And so, it's a case by case scenario as well. So, making sure that you are ready and committed to being present yeah. week by week or whatever, twice a week, whatever whatever you're kind of um, offering yeah. in terms of your time.
0: So, do you ever get like an 18 year old adult matched up with a 17 year old kid and just kind of become <laughs> I, buddies?
1: Not, not, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Not quite like that. I don't do a lot of the intake and all that, uh, in terms of, of, but we, we do have some pretty awesome stories in terms of, um, you know, that long lasting impact of, yeah, of, uh, you know, like later on. Uh I think there was one story I heard at a board meeting about like uh someone like being invited to someone's wedding like later on like in life right. so like yeah. that long lasting relationship is uh pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. I was happy when um, when I got reached out to by by your organization because because it's it's it, Big Brothers Big Sisters has actually been an organization I've chose to support in the past. I haven't ever done the volunteering myself, but I've I've given I've given some money and and donated over the years um, because uh, you know out of everything out there it's it's, it's resonated with me. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have like really really good adult male role models coming up as as a youth and a teenager and right. <clears throat> a boy turning into a man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I was always really aware of that. So I think that, you know, I, it, it wasn't a need that I had in my life. So, you know, it was, I, I never had to reach out to an organization like Big Brothers Big Sisters. But because I was so awa- aware of that lack of the need in my case, it, it made me, I think, aware of the need. Of, of other people. I know what you're talking about you know what I mean? as, yeah. well, as well. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm highly, highly thankful and grateful for, for the, for the role models and mentors I had in my life. So I'd, I'd love to see other young people have the opportunity for the same. I think that's, that's what I was looking to say, a little more eloquently. No, yeah. yeah.
1: No, I, I I, would 100% agree with you. And that's kind of why I'm there, why I kind of volunteer my time with the board. Um, and at, obviously, other fundraising events, we do Bowl for Kids, go, um, you know, Golf for Kids. We do other community events um, throughout the year. You'll see... You'll see announcements popping up in the paper here and there or on the local TV, those types yeah. of things. And uh, we're always looking for support wherever we can get it um, to keep those programs running, yeah. to, keep, to keep youth having access to free, sustainable programming. That's what it's all about. Yeah.
0: Do you have any events coming up?
1: So uh we this summer we, we finished our golf for kids. Um the next big event coming up is bowl for kids and that'll be in, in the winter season. And so um, that is like the, the big event. Yeah. Um and so they got really creative with it last year and they uh you know, everyone we couldn't go bowling. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh people were bowling like with the, their sleds and people were like, you know, doing it in their own way, which is really, really cool. Um and so hopefully fingers crossed we can actually bowl this year for real um but it's a it's a it's a great event for people to come together um and also you know a a big event for in terms of like fundraising for for the rest of the year to Mm -hmm. continue to support that programming
0: so is that going to be like december or a little later in the winter it's uh i
1: believe it's a little later in the winter um we have our next meeting coming up. Uh, I think uh, to kind of chat about some of those details, yeah. um, and uh, I, I, I'll loop back with a with a concrete date once I once I for sure know what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You let us know, and yeah, we'll, we'll sure. plug it for you. Thank you. Is, that, is it going to happen over in town here, over at Grattan Lanes, or
1: uh, and you know what? It can. Be, so we're not just operating in Smith Falls, right? We we operate, of course. We operate. We would you know, anyone wants to go bowling, uh, in a local community, but we also do Carlton Place, Perth, uh, any, we support all of the surrounding region. Yeah. So it's, you know, we are based in Smith Falls, um, you know, right downtown, but, uh, it's, uh, it's also supporting youth in the greater mm-hmm. region of Lanark County.
0: Now, is that, is that the one office for the county, or do you have other satellite offices? That, that's the, offices? One, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the cool. one. That's yeah. the one main office, um, and so that's kind of like the local <laughs> hub. And with that, you have Jules, which is um, which is like a social enterprise, um, essentially, um, kind of gives back to 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 the charity, Jules is a, like the gently used clothing. There's yep. a, a store in, in Perth as well, um, and so if you're ever looking to shop with like purpose, check out Jules. Check it out.
0: Yep. Well, that's awesome. I, I wasn't I wasn't aware Jules was connected with you.
1: Yep, it's right in the same building.
0: Yeah, yep. perfect. Awesome. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned I heard you say earlier when you moved back to Smiths Falls. Back, <laughs> you born and raised here?
1: I am. I. Yep. Uh, I, uh, I spent my younger years, I, I grew up specifically in Rideau Ferry, um, mm-hmm. kind of in the country, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I, I uh, went to school here in uh, Smith Falls. I went to St. James, went to St. Francis, um, and uh, I went to high school in, in Perth.
0: When, when did you escape? <laughs> when did you, so, you
1: make your escape? When did I make the escape? Yeah, the great escape. And then, you know, he, we're kind of back to where we started, right, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I love, and um, Essentially, finished high school and went away to to school, and then didn't look back for many years. Yeah, um, always had something on the go, going somewhere new, traveling, living somewhere else, uh, and then eventually, it was part of COVID, part of a number of different things, br- brought brought me back home. And oh, so you're be you're,
0: you're a recent return recent? Yeah, I've been
1: back for just over a year. A year,
0: nice, basically at this nice. point. Yeah, so. Sorry, may, maybe even mentioned, but where'd you go off to college?
1: So I went to uh, Trent University. Okay. Um, I took anthropology and like archaeology. I was going to be Indiana Jones. I was yeah. going to like dig up the history. I loved it, and obviously loved history going growing up throughout high school and had some influential, you know, um, educators in that way. And it was um, what I thought I wanted to do. Um, I had this opportunity to do an archaeology dig in in Belize in digging up like a uh, history of the Maya, yeah. which was really amazing. Got to live in the jungle for five weeks camping. It was pretty well, my first like like rough and tough thing I ever did. Really, let's yeah. be honest. I grew up in you know pretty pretty good conditions here in Smith Falls, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, had a very had a very I would say very great upbringing, um, and all all that is kind of associated with that. And then going to do live in the jungle and dig up. History and all those things, and then I found through that that I was not Indiana Jones I wasn't going to be an archaeologist, uh-huh. and there was people that I was meeting there on the same trip on the same kind of um i guess it was a credit um, that we got for it, um but they were more into it than I was, yeah, they were willing to hack out the rest of the year in the library, all yeah. the things that i wasn't uh i think cut out for I could do it, but they They could do it better,
0: (laughs) right? So perhaps the split is not quite all Indiana Jones. It's it's like what ten percent Indiana Jones, like ninety percent library, three percent yeah, yeah. three percent dig, yeah. And most of the dig is was what just like brush, 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 very monotonous and tedious and painstaking minute details of digging.
1: It it was very at times. You dig down to a level, you knew where you needed to get to, Mm -hmm. um, and then essentially you're just like mapping everything out. You know, there's a lot of like string and there's like the plumb bobs and all these like technical things that, you know, you need to line everything up and document everything. And we found some very interesting, amazing artifacts, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the day-to-day and the amount of of work involved in grants and you're always fighting. You're always, always fighting. And there was people that wanted to fight more than I did. Right. And I saw that. I saw that the writing was on the wall. And what I got from that was a really cool experience and an opportunity to travel, which I found. For the first time, to do it independently, I had never done a trip where I was on my own. Yeah. I had never done a trip where I got to go, like, make my own path with it and get what I want f- Get what I it from it.
0: hmm I feel like... Uh... Growing up, my idea of archaeology was, was either like, like Jurassic Park and digging up dinosaur bones or like golden Buddha artifacts and like arrows shooting out of the wall. But as an adult, I think I've learned that, now correct me if I'm wrong here, that actual archaeology basically revolves around pottery. There was a lot of pottery. Yeah.
1: Like, um, a lot of what we were digging through was actually fill that they would put in from the different layers. They would yeah. cover up an old house or build over their old house or fill an old floor with shards of pottery.
2: Yeah,
1: we found some intact, really nice uh, artifacts that were hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as like a mask. It was like a like a traditional um, mask um, in terms for like ceremonies and things yeah. like that. And we're digging through people's homes, essentially. Mm -hmm, Yeah. When you look at it, you know, it's, there's, it has to be a level of respect there too, of what you're doing. Um, And so uh, we we did it in a very respectful way. And um, I learned a lot from that experience, but it was a lot of pottery. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it
0: hurts. It's it's like, it's like, it's, there's, you can see human bones that are a thousand years apart and they're both just human bones, Mm -hmm. but you can see a pot. And another pot, and you're like, oh well, no. We documented the techniques changed between this era and this era, so we know it's from this era. A lot easier than carbon dating bones.
1: It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what um, we would. When you're going down through the different layers, you can you start to piece that together, and then you you connect it with the other communities in the region, mm-hmm. and to see if they there are commonalities yeah. and and what you're seeing uh, at that time. Were they doing the same thing? Did they have the same pottery? Um, were they making the same tools? Um, were they cooking the same things?
0: Mm-hmm. Those types of, yeah.
1: It's really, it's quite interesting. And I, the reason why I got into it, but
0: yeah. not in the end. So what was the coolest thing you found?
1: Like there was uh, well, we, everyone would always get very excited when there was something called obsidian, which is basically like. My son gets
0: of, excited about obsidian. Uh, yeah.
1: It's a really cool word to say. But obsidian. that's in Minecraft. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> know much about Minecraft. But you got kids? Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah, just wait. It's just coming. Wait. It's you'll,
0: coming. You'll learn. You'll learn all about Obsidian and Minecraft.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's valuable there. So it's valuable in the archaeology world as well. Um, basically, it's like a piece of volcanic, uh, like a shard, and they fashioned it into some sort of blade usually. Right. Um, they all. The other thing I mentioned was that that mask. They filled the full, and they would put inside of it, it was like some sort of like uh, ceremonial, Artifact where it was a mask, but smoke could come out through the eyes and the mm. in the mouth. Um, not sure of its exact purpose or use, but I assume something something that was for you know ritualistic purposes. Some ancient yeah, hot box, yeah, ritual. Essentially, I I assume <laughs> I, I I can only assume.
0: Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> so you moved on from archaeology. Yeah, and what was your next move? Next move
1: yeah was uh obviously that wasn't working out um and school was finishing um i did my 4 years and i figured you know no one's they don't tell you this no one's just giving you a job no one's just yeah. you got the 4 years you yeah. know especially with with university where it's so abstract especially with the arts and uh no one's fighting for a new graduate archaeologist person mm-hmm. um so um i was walking through it was uh, our lunch area or like a cafeteria or something at, at Trent university. And there was like this job fair for going, teaching overseas in South Korea and oh, like a bunch of different countries. Okay. Um, and I just took all the pamphlets, didn't think anything of it. And then later on as I was like, maybe that would be cool. I really like that traveling thing. Yeah. Um, I found out I can make some money, you know, at the end of four years, not a lot in the bank account. Um, and uh, you know, within a month of actually looking at it i was in korea
0: nice yeah one of my one of my last guests nathan who's one of the teachers at the music school here uh he went to korea awesome yeah right after right after university
1: it was an awesome experience
0: yeah i think i've i think i've missed my window for doing that i knew a lot of people who did that thing
1: i would say there was a time i think it was because a lot of people in the in were invited to go teach, uh, and the actual public system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked at a private school, but the public system had, for example, instead of a French like a French teacher, they'd have a foreigner come over and teach the English. Yeah. So they wanted people that were native speakers of, you know, they'd be people from all over the world, really, yeah. and uh, yeah, they liked Canadians, Americans, people from New Zealand, Australia. Yeah. It was a kind of like a foreigner kind of like hub in so many in so many ways. That expat life.
0: Now, what I've always wondered about that is like, what is the chat? Like, I mean, when I took French in school, my teacher was maybe an Anglophone who was good at French or maybe a a, a Francophone who, but they always spoke English and French to these, are these kids, they're just Korean and how do you communicate them? Do you have to learn some Korean? What's the challenge there?
1: Well, when I was there, I I took uh, Korean classes um, and I would go like once or twice a week um, and that helped me but it was very discouraged in the classroom to speak Korean um, because the idea was they need to learn from you. Yeah. And the majority of the kids I was teaching, like their English was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, depending on the age level and the level of the students, obviously there's different tiers. Um, but I was teaching at a night school where I, I mean, like they call it like a night school, I guess I work from 2 PM to like 9 Mm PM kids would finish school. Um, younger kids go earlier, older kids go later. Um, a lot of focus in korea i found on actually just you know uh, education um and so if you're not putting your kid in that we, we have that here but it's not as i feel not as um you know focused on the academics you yeah. know ours more like go oh, yep you play soccer and all those things and yeah. whatever hockey here and, and things like that but there's more you go you, know, you go to math school and then you you might go to um some sort of uh you know english school and then science and then maybe a, an instrument or something mm-hmm.
0: like that now what is their Uh, Over there, why do they want to learn English so much? Because,
1: I mean, it is the international language. Yeah. It is wherever you go, you know, there'll be the, depending on mostly what I've found in my travels is there'll be the, if they're going to offer it, it will be the second language of in like a a translation or like it'll be on a sign with like little letters underneath or like even just random shirts everywhere. (laughs) just with random slogans or or something like that.
0: How do they view North American culture or in South Korea? I don't like
1: to generalize and stereotype, but uh, there's a certain, and I think this has faded a bit recently. Yeah. There was a certain reverence around it in some way, like, like, oh, like if I learn English, then I can get a better job or I can have more opportunity. Yeah. Um, And so that was... That was a focus for some parents, not all parents, definitely not. Um, And it's not even them, like the parents that are focusing on their own English, unless Mm -hmm. they're maybe in business or something like that. From what I found, it's you want to give your kid that every opportunity possible. And I think we offer that. We want to do that here.
0: Yeah, not not that. That's why my kid's in French. Yeah. I just want them to have more opportunity for sure.
1: Exactly. So I think it's that same mindset. It's just they've done it in a bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is obviously some probably, be- and we have that here as well, some animosity, history. Mm-hmm. Some people, you, I mean, obviously you don't forget certain things that have happened in your life and certain things that you saw and people that you interacted with, you know, and it depends on your age and what you remember.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was the, uh, I was the voice for the Chevy Colorado in South Korea. You were. Yeah. That is, how did that, I want to know. <laughs> how uh, did that? I, you know, I pick up random jobs. I've been doing voiceovers for years. Um, I have the voice for it, I guess. And, and I'm, an audio, I'm an audio guy. I'm a recording studio guy. So yeah. it, it was sort of a natural fit for me. I got into, I did the odd gig here and there. And then about 12 years ago, I wound up getting a job for a company out of Burlington doing e-learning and it was all like sales training stuff. Right. That got me a lot heavier into the voiceover world. And I did like sales training for McDonald's employees and, and, uh, sales training for, uh, Ford car dealerships and, uh, L'Oreal skincare products and, and a bunch of products for Sunnybrook w- Women's Hospital as well. Cool. Um, and then from there I, I started picking up more work and I was just sort of attuned to the different channels where you can pick up work and auditions and, uh, yeah, I just, I got one for, for that. Some guy got in contact with me and he was actually a, I think he might've been a Canadian guy who moved over to, to South Korea and there, uh, I mean, they were selling in the pickup truck over there. And I mean, I don't know, I've never been to South Korea, I kn- but I, I know that in certain areas of the world, sometimes there is a little bit of like celebration of North American culture. Of course. Um, there's, and that's yeah. what they were playing to with this commercial on this pickup truck. The pickup truck over there is like a very like yay, it's a it's a cool American toy, I guess.
1: For for sure there's I and from my memory not a lot of trucks, not a lot of pickup trucks um specifically like we have here. Like yeah. you you drive down the street you see a, a number of trucks. There it's mostly like white cars Hyundai
0: yeah, little little sedans and yeah, stuff. exactly. M- much more practical vehicles.
1: Yeah, it's also like it's a tighter space there. Yeah. We have a bit more room to move move around uh, here in Canada. We we'll yeah. take that for granted, I think. But yeah, so that a truck, someone having a truck that was imported, that's a status. That's a hundred percent status symbol. Yeah. You either really value that item, or you value um, you know you want to show. Like, yeah. I have money, <laughs> or yeah. like that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, the whole, it was a long commercial. It was like a two minute long wow. commercial. It was a web spot, and it was all in Korean. I didn't speak in Korean. They just hired me to sound like an American at the very end of the commercial. And I say, Colorado, the real American pickup truck. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. Although what they wanted me to say was just Colorado. Real American pickup truck. You added the, the like the, the. I added yeah. the the, because it just <laughs> felt weird for me. They were like, I, I add the the if you want. We don't really care. It makes sense to us either way. I'm like, all right.
1: Yeah. The the was, ne- yeah, necessary. Yeah. Good call.
0: But uh yeah, yeah. Chevy Colorado.
1: Love that. That's, you know.
0: That's my only South Korea connection. I've never been there. I've never taught anybody English there, but I've told them about a pickup truck. That is the real one.
1: And, uh you know, there's some people probably driving that around still now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you went to South Korea. Yep. You go other places in, from there, like yeah. you backpack around or something?
1: So I had a really uh, interesting kind of experience while I was there. And I don't think the traditional, I really, I would say injected myself in, I really made a point of meeting people. Yeah. Uh, I think this is where that meeting people thing kind of started for me really and having to put myself out there as i said i I ended up there within a month of like thinking about it and doing it really um and so obviously i didn't know how to use chopsticks i didn't know what korea looked like i didn't know what the food was going to be like now korean food is very celebrated here it's very like going korean barbecue or like korean barbecue this or like you know kimchi that that was not a thing here when i like this was not that long ago korean food has exploded in uh, in the international community uh, for good reason it's amazing, so yeah. when I went there, I was blown away uh, by the food all of that um, and uh, i as i said uh, actually i didn't maybe I didn't mention that I mentioned it when I came in that I play the drums and yeah. so i um I immediately started to look for other people that played music and and for places that offered places for people to play music and i quickly found a place that was kind of became my like second home in some ways uh i started to kind of work there as a bartender on the side yeah um after work um and then found a foreign like a bunch of foreigners we got together and we played at different parts of korea which was really cool really you know we played at different foreigner bars <clears throat> but also korean bars that were looking for this uh kind of like you know you, you got some foreigners playing at your bar uh, mm-hmm. And they're playing um, covers. We just we just did covers, kind of thing, like '90s, like classic rock, you know, some new stuff, um, and uh, a couple originals. the The name of the band was Seregi, which basically means garbage in Korea, in okay. Korean. and And so, uh, it was quite the experience of being able to we went to like Seoul. I lived in the south of Korea, mm-hmm. which was a place called Ulsan, and. Uh, is where they make all... If you drive a Hyundai car, chances are it's made there. So a big manufacturing town. And then while I was traveling, while I was living there, I went to Japan um, and then I went to Vietnam, Cambodia. And th- I, I had to work a lot when I was there. Like There wasn't very many holidays, but mm-hmm. I was still able to kind of get away for, for those couple trips.
0: So what kind of music is do they really like over there? It's like is top 40 covers the thing over there. K-pop's pretty big. I, I take it. K-pop
1: for sure. Yeah. Like there's the oh, <laughs> Gangnam style came out when I was living there. Right. Uh, so that was like, you can't even walk down the street without like that was like celebrated by everyone. Yeah. And then it became obviously like it is here. You're like, I'm so <clears> tired of that song. Um, kind of thing. Uh, but K-pop for sure. Um, they have a lot of great artists that we don't know about or, or would hear about. Um, what i found there though was re- that getting to meet other musicians and playing at some bars that when i was there was the jazz culture mm. which is very was very surprising but also the music that i was hearing was incredible um the musicians were very 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 talented in mm-hmm. terms of like their technicalities and they were like like spot on perfect nice like there was s- so well practiced um, But what I found in that well-practicedness was not a lot of being able to go outside the box, mm. which is how also, was I found jazz so surprising, which is I feel what jazz is some kind of like that feel. Yeah. And so it was very, it was very amazingly played jazz, yeah. but to the T. Yeah.
0: Is yeah. that, is that a cultural thing in Korea? I, are they, are they pretty regimented, traditional sort of by the book kind of a culture?
1: In in some ways, um and then if you went if you grew up probably taking music lessons, you play it like you re- would read the from the book you wouldn't i didn't that's not how I learned to play drums, was right. I learned yeah. from like I listened to some something in my headphones and I sat down at the kit and i then I just figured it out yeah, um, and I probably messing up half of it yeah. and then eventually finding my own way and making it sound the way i thought it should yeah um, that's
0: that's that's my tactic yes well for, i think that's a tactic music, here you know? like
1: i took drum lessons growing up and w- i would just bring a cd uh to a guy in a, in perth um and uh we would just jam yeah. we would just play rage against the machine and yeah. like like foo fighters and whatever yeah. and just jam and then i'd be like we'd, we'd stop like let's figure out that lick yeah kind of thing so i don't if there's i think maybe that has started to change there as well and what i was seeing some of the the younger musicians that i was meeting doing that more reg not not as regimented that more feel yeah uh piece but there was a lot of cool rock bands but big on the jazz which yeah. was um, i got to hear a lot of great music
0: cool i know people you know even over here like the if if they've certain people friends of mine whatever who've learned music in a very regimented way. It's like they can play amazing things. they can play this sonata or that overture uh if the sheet music is in front of them and you pull it away and it's like they forget how to play right they just they, they can't do anything this is just, this is certain people I know people who can read sheet music and own it and then improvise like crazy um some people are just very talented that way. But, but I've, I've noticed that some people who have learned very, very regimented have, have a lot of difficulty coming outside of that. Um, my brother too, he was a, he was a classically trained singer and that's his, that's, that's become his biggest problem in terms of trying to be a singer now is he's so regimented in these classical, this is the way it's done that he It's so hard to, for him to sound just like sing a pop song, sing a rock song and sound, you know, not, like he's in a, you know, Kiwanis competition or something, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, as I said, that like, maybe that's kind of starting to to change there. Yeah. But um, that's how music was taught. And I think that's how maybe it was taught here, you know, more so, you know, years ago, um, where you sat down and you had the book. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's starting to shift throughout the world depending on where you're where you're learning but some people still really you i think you you kind of need that in some ways to get your bases down yeah um and learn like rhythm and those types of things um but yeah i i, I think there's there, there's some you have to be able to do i think both in some ways if you're if you're going to be that i guess well-rounded musician or whatever you want to call yeah, it
0: absolutely yeah I did a certain amount of theory and stuff. I understand it. I can't sight read and play in real time. I wouldn't be able to anymore, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know if that's the, I think that, I think for drummer, drummers are the ones who probably benefit from that the least, in my opinion. But maybe that, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just confirming and just trying to what put you, a of you, you, a spin on the things I haven't learned.
1: Yeah, me, me, me as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to read. Drum, drum books, or anything like that. I'm not. I'm not what trained in any. What kind of you play? Uh, a Tama. Yeah. Tama Star Classic. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Like um, a
0: five-piece rock kit or a little like four-piece a little jazz
1: f- f- kit. four-piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh in, currently in uh my parents' basement. It's set up. My brother. He he plays quite avidly on guitar and sings and bass and all that. And so the, the, the space is there. I just need to find it again. Yeah. Uh, for myself.
0: Yeah. I just found ready. my space again. Yeah. It's there. They're all in shambles over in the corner right there. But I, uh, I have the two kits cause I'm teaching drum lessons now. Exactly. And, uh, I started teaching drum lessons in September and I was like, if I'm going to be teaching lessons again, I should probably reteach myself how to play. <laughs> so I spent most of August in here playing a lot of drums. And it was great. All came back to me.
1: It it does. So, whenever, like, you know, we'll have a couple of beers my parents' place, me and my brother go down. Yeah. A friend's over that plays like bass or something like that. We'll go down. It comes right back. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I'm like, I wish I could do that thing I used to do, or like you try something, drop your stick or whatever, but it comes back really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. All the tunes I used to know I could, I could probably pull off and if I practice a little mm-hmm. bit.
0: So. Have you watched Squid Game? Talking about Korea,
1: I have not watched Squid Game.
0: I watched. I know it's just,
1: sitting there. Yeah. on my like Netflix number one. Yeah, you're gonna watch it. Probably it's on um, once everything else runs out. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see. I I I will. I will at some point.
0: It's intense. I believe you. Yeah, it's it's an intense show. Do they play this? Do they play? Did you know about a game called Squid Game? No. in Korea. No, it's just but, like a childhood. But school they did yard have game.
1: on TV like a lot of like kind of shows that were like about games and they're very gaming culture, Mm. um, specifically like Starcraft, like those types of games, like, like computer games. Yeah. Um, a lot of cafes. Like I remember when I first got there, I didn't have internet uh, at my little like dinky apartment that that the, the school provided for me. And, uh, I had to go out every day just to check check my email, say I'm alive kind of thing. Like, yeah. I'm here. I'm in Korea. I don't know. I sat in gum yesterday. Like, I don't know what I'm doing um, kind of thing, writing random emails home. But I go to, like, these gaming bars, basically. Yeah. Like, they were, like, they called them norib- noribongs? Uh, no, that's the, like, they're these gaming bars, essentially. And everyone would just be in there, like, locked in. There'd be, like, r- floors of them, people yeah. just playing. Mm-hmm. Throughout the day, <laughs> like at all times, that's a professional. You know, that's that's people's livelihood yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah, so interesting.
0: Korea was what one year for you? Two years? That, How that long was just there?
1: One, year, yeah, uh, one year. Intense year. Yeah. A lot, a lot of memories. A lot of people I'm still great, good friends with. Um, we'll call very randomly. You know, send a message to connect with, and um, but then I I decided that um, I really like teaching. I I didn't want to live in Korea forever because I, I knew it could happen um, very easily in terms of like the lifestyle, but I knew I liked teaching. So yeah. I, I I came back to Canada. I applied, I went back to Trent again mm-hmm. and cause it was familiar. I loved, I loved the school of the culture. I grew up like a kind of like a country boy in some ways. And yeah. it was like kind of like a, not a like country school, but it wasn't like the big city wasn't U of T or something like that. Mm-hmm. I want, I liked that, that feeling. Um, and so went to uh went to dim and did my uh, bachelor of education became a teacher um and then but even then knew that i didn't want to stay in canada i want to go back teach internationally again Mm -hmm. with like a real international school yeah um and that's exactly what i did got a job in southern china teaching on this tropical island called Hainan. um kind of they call it chinese hawaii okay um it's uh There's no no volcanoes, but like it's, it's like a tropical island. That's where people go in winter to escape cold in Beijing or, uh, a lot of, uh, Russian people would go there as well as, uh, people from like different parts of, parts of Asia that kind of just get away from the cold. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 and I, that was a two year contract that I got through that. Um, it was Alberta based school and, uh, it was, uh, definitely like the thing that I was kind of like working towards, I thought at that moment to work at like a real, like a real school. Yeah. So yeah, this, yeah. you say Alberta
0: based. So was this.
1: So it was an Alberta curriculum. Um, and so like it was a, a, a. the way international schools work is that they need to be approved typically by an embassy um, okay. With a specific curriculum, all those different types of pieces, and um, usually the students are all ex, like expat young people, or like they have a certain okay, amount I of Chinese, yeah. like Chinese people that live that would be able to go to the school. Um, but uh, the mar- large majority of students were air- airline pilots, kids like GMs of like MGM Grand and yeah. like like these like people with a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> essentially.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so fancy school in some ways in terms of like like i guess the people that were gonna their kids that were going there kids weren't fancy kids were kids but yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was interesting that way
0: yeah i had a friend uh growing up who grew who she lived in Okinawa Japan and she was uh she was a military kid so she was american but over there so in right. a similar kind of international sim- school
1: that would be an international, probably set up by the military, military yeah. school. It'd be American curriculum. It'd mm-hmm. be American teachers, yeah. probably. Yeah. Mostly. This was a, it was a Canadian international school. Yeah. Called the Canadian International School of Sanya.
0: Cool. I had a buddy who went over to China to teach. He went over to Japan to teach and his visa expired. He really wanted to stay in Japan because he loved Japan. And then he, uh, he settled for China, but then wound up loving, that, wound up loving it. I think even more.
1: Ch- I think, uh. Korea was for me like because I saw all the jobs there was Japan there was China and all all a couple different places in in um the Middle East and I thought Korea sounds like like I can handle that I haven't lived overseas on my own before and then mm-hmm. I after doing that I was like China's I know going to be a bit more I don't know how to say it like a bit less western a less more like you know, in, in Korea, there was a McDonald's all over the place. Like, there yeah. was uh, you know, you know all, anything that you really wanted from home, you could probably find pretty easily. But in China, I kind of knew that that was not going to be...
0: No Facebook, no YouTube. You know,
1: that was not going to be the same. Yeah, they have, and there is none of that. Uh, you know, I could still access it through, you know, illegally, basically, through your uh, VPN. Yeah. Um, but, um, legally by their terms, legal throughout the world. But... Yeah. Yeah. Um, essentially, you know, you got there, no Google, no Facebook, no anything like that. I had to use Yahoo Mm-hmm. I used Yahoo to search things for two years, pretty much. If I didn't <laughs> have to, you know, have access to my VPN, and, I don't remember uh, Yahoo. Yeah, I I had to figure it out. It was either that or I don't even think Bing worked there. Um, it was <laughs> it's Yahoo. Um, but they all instead of Facebook, there's all those the replacements. They have their own. Yeah. They have their own. Uh, you know, Baidu and and uh, Yuku instead of YouTube and like all these different replacement things that there's enough people to use them yeah absolutely exactly yeah
0: so how long was that one then that that was two years yeah right you mentioned the contract yeah two years
1: two two year contract there and um you know it was it was such a it was a different teaching experience it was a different living experience being a tropical island it has like that allure of like that's why people go to hawaii yeah. that's the you kind of go there to like escape that wasn't why I was going there. Um, it just ended up being where the school was mm-hmm. and uh, I had a friend that that worked at that school that hooked me up with the interview and and all that but it was definitely like that island life that island slow pace yeah and uh, every day every day around you know, like one o'clock 1230 everyone would just have a nap yeah yeah nice. everyone would just start to you know their siesta because it was so damn hot. Yeah, Yeah. and you know there was air conditioning, but not everywhere had it, especially in the summer months. You're scorching, scorching hot, and so um, everyone just had a nap. I remember seeing people like I'd go to the bank during my lunch, and people would be napping. They just you couldn't get, you couldn't go to the bank.
0: I think we need to normalize (laughs) naps. I think more, um, and people
1: would still like they might work another an extra hour that day. But they're happier.
0: You're gonna get better <laughs> yeah, work done were, if you're rested. Yeah,
1: and people are tired. You know, you got you got kids. You got, the, that nap is just like the best.
0: Yeah, I, I love naps. I'm I'm a big napper. Yeah. I love naps. But there's totally a thing over here where it's like stigma. It is naps. a stigma. It's like it's people nap- are people are. It's like sleeping is a private thing. Maybe it's because we do it most in our bedrooms. I don't know. But it's like if I was in here when you came in and I was asleep. And you woke me up, and I'd be like, oh, oh, sorry. Sorry, Mark, I was napping.
1: Yeah, you know? and I might be like, that guy must be tired. Like, yeah. why was he napping? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, like that kind of a, idea. It's like, a weird
0: it's, thing. It's like, why am I saying sorry yeah, for no, napping? No, it's like, sorry, I
1: would. You like, should you, say you, sorry you, for waking me sorry up. Sorry for waking you up. Yeah. Do I, I can come back later, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. No. Well, um, that's a
0: good idea. I'll have a nap, too. Yeah. And it's cozy. Like,
1: at my class, they had a nap every day. I that was my time. Yeah. Like get everyone all the kids there now na- I taught kindergarten. So all the kids were sleeping and they had beds. Every kid we had to get out 30 beds. Yeah. Like these wooden beds. And uh and set them up and all the kids every week they brought all their like their like stuffed animals and yeah. like their pillow and then they take it home at the end of the week. And uh it was just so normal. Some of the parents that hadn't lived there before were like I had to get what? I'm like, okay, we got some spares, but yeah. you got to go get like a little kid bed because yeah. they they need to have a nap. Like, we don't, we don't nap anymore. Then by after a couple weeks, they're napping yeah. again and their parents are like, they're better for it.
0: Yeah. I wish my kids still napped. They just won't do it.
1: That hour is uh, sometimes. And for yeah. me as a teacher, I was like, yes. And sometimes they're all down. I go lie down on the floor. I lie on the floor if all yeah. my stuff's done. You yeah. know, and I had a, a teaching assistant. We make sure everything was good. Don't worry, kids aren't like running around. And uh, (laughs) I do,
0: I actually do that fairly often. Is like if I'm tired and the thought strikes me that I need a nap, I'll just like, if I'm at home, but I'll just lie down on the floor. Yeah. Wherever I am, I might be in the kitchen, I might be in the hallway. It's just like I feel it now. I feel if I lie down right now, I can be asleep in five seconds. Wow. But if I walk 10 more feet, I might lose that little. You just need a rush it. of melatonin that's going through me right now. Your so body not waste sending
1: this. these messages, right? Getting
0: that couch. And if the couch isn't in sight, I might just choose the carpet. Yeah. And then somebody else comes along and wakes me up and they're like, what are you doing on the floor? I'm like, I was just napping. Like, <laughs> Why are you on the floor? Because I was tired, so I lied down. Love
1: that. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I, I would say I'm similar in some ways with that. Like, yeah. Maybe in terms it's a drummer of, thing. I don't know. Uh, I do nap like periodically i only need like 15 minutes yeah not even yeah me yeah. too
0: i prefer just 15 minutes yeah
1: or it's you just feel like don't get out, don't get under the covers or like anything like you're done
0: well you good? Yeah. yeah you do it too long i'm yeah. like i'm gonna Four, nap i'm yeah. gonna nap for 15 minutes or two hours but nothing in between like if i go past that 15 minute mark i'm i'm down for a while agreed
1: yeah, yeah. and so i think a lot of people, I, a lot of people i don't know if they're really sleeping like a lot of people that were you know in these like I'd see everyone had a nap kind of thing. Can't get anything done throughout the city, but everyone's napping. So you might as well just go lay down. Yeah. Look at your phone for a second, put it on the floor, you know, like close your eyes, you feel better. And yeah, it's like, I think it's a, it's a great piece for well being. It's a great piece for just like, you know, getting ready for the second half of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of parts of like, you know, in Europe, it's, it's very, and always has been very very important to the culture and i think we've uh prioritized money and work and russian looking busy over that like oh i just this is part of the day Mm -hmm. so i can do all that busyness
0: my son went to a uh montessori school for uh for kindergarten age and they were big on naps there but he wouldn't do it he just didn't nap he's never needed much sleep it's uh it's been a challenge. It's been very challenging. sometimes. Sure. He's just, uh, he, he'll be up at six. He's up at the crack of dawn every morning. So you're up. I, I, well, yeah. You know what? I used to be. Yeah. And now he's, he's 10 now. And for the past couple of years, he wakes up at 6 a.m. and he reads. Oh, that's great. It's wonderful. He tears through books. When he was doing uh online school because of COVID, I'd wake up. It'd be like 8.30. I'm like, all right, time to... Hop on that computer for school. Buddy's like my schoolwork's done, Dad. I've been up since six thirty. Can I go read? Like, can That's you go? Cool. Can you go read? Yeah. Let me think about yeah. that. Yes. Yes, you can go read. His
1: day is already done before you yeah. got up. Yeah. His day, like of like things he had to do, done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He put like That's so he cool. he kind of wanted to just stay virtual. When school was back in,
1: yeah, because they just give it all ahead of time, right? Like, this I was is the, seriously tempted that, to yeah. say
0: yes. I really was. Yeah. If it was just about him getting his schoolwork done, it probably would have been yes. But I want him to get socialized. There's and, different
1: parts of yeah. yeah. Schools being there with other people is very important as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's really the reason I send him because otherwise he'd just be teaching himself stuff from books and YouTube. And some you of, can do that. These of, yeah, he learn some of the you greats. Want on YouTube? Greats. That's how. That's how it happened. Yeah. They found their niche. So a couple years in China, in yep. tropical China, tropical China. And you came yeah. back, and, and what next?
1: No, I didn't come back. You I didn't, didn't come
0: back from China.
1: Well, I am here now, but like uh, essentially, I that was where the where I started to ride my bike home. From. Ah, gotcha. That's where it began. Yeah. Um, and so it was actually to rewind. It was about six years before I did. I made that decision that I had the idea
0: to so, do a big giant bike trip around the world.
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, And so it was back after I did that archaeology dig, I found I really love travel yeah. and I started to read all these travel books. I was just like, I would read like one a day. Like I would just, and I, w- I had access to an amazing library at university. I should have been reading like books I should have been reading. I would yeah. take it, whatever book I could find on travel, whatever book I could find on the like international development, like those kinds of like cool books, people going into like really remote areas and I was like, I got to experience that. And then I saw a lot of books of people traveling, like walking and biking and motorcycles. And, yep. and so I was like, I need to do that. I don't know where the bike specifically came from, but it, it seemed like the best vehicle for me anyway. Yep. Um, and I, I, I was like, okay, I'm not going to be walking because that for me is just going to take way too long to do any sort of very, very long trip. Yeah. And I did meet people. On my bike trip, and we can get to that later, but that we're doing that walking, Mm -hmm. like kind of, that's like a voyage in some way, your personal voyage. But um, so I chose the bicycle, but I had a problem in university, obviously. I had like no money, like no, I had no bike. I didn't have a bike then, really. Like Mm -hmm. it was just in my parents' garage back home. And then uh, I had no starting point. I didn't know where it was going to begin, but I was going to do it. And I wrote it down. I was going to ride a bike around the world. Wrote down some like journal that's probably gone or somewhere. But I remember writing it down and it just kept coming up like when I got the job in Korea I was like, oh, it's not the right time. I'm not going to have enough. I don't know, I'm not ready enough. I'm mm. not I haven't done enough other things first. I'm not I'm going to fail if I do it." And then I got the the job in in China and I had that like teaching background thing I could fall back on if everything went horribly wrong. Yeah. Um and so it was as soon as I got that job, I remember my friend, as I mentioned he helped he, he was working at the school. We uh, decided that we we're gonna be roommates during that year. And like the first thing I got off the plane, I told him, I'm gonna ride a, my bike home after I'm done this contract. <laughs> he's like, Okay, man, whatever. Like, welcome. Like you're like, out of your mind. Um, this guy. I can ride my bike home to yeah, like, China. He's like, You know, you just got a new job, you gotta focus on like anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna do this. And he's like, Okay Cool. And, but he probably knew I was going to in that moment. And then I just started traveling more while I was there. With this job, I had the opportunity to travel a lot more. It was a better paying job. So I could I had that bit more disposable income. But I was also always thinking, you need to save for that bike trip. Um, and so first thing I did was buy a motorcycle. And I bought a motorbike in China. Okay. And that was like my motor transportation. And I went ever with that thing. I went all over the place, all over the island. Um, my first trip there, and I didn't know how to ride a motorbike. No clue. I picked it up from this, uh, like a motorcycle place, like a dealership, I guess, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and so uh, we, we, I got it home somehow, miraculously. I was terrified of the thing, um, but I was I, I want to, do this right now. I'm going like, to have some cool motorcycle trips first and get to see China in a really remote way. I knew I didn't have time to bike everywhere mm-hmm. at that time, but I had time to like see a lot of the island that I would not, it was impossible for me to just have a car. Yeah. Didn't need a license for the motorbike. It was perfect. Um, and so went all over the place there. Is that
0: because it was like a small enough motorbike or they just, just the didn't motorbikes care. don't need licenses They there? do.
1: And don't. It's just no one's gonna bother with you, and like there was no license plate on the thing. It was just me on the motorbike, right. no license, and uh, a lot of time in flip flops. Really looking back, really stupid. But um, it's the island life. Uh, anyway, uh, through that, I found actually I eventually figured out how to ride the damn thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was pretty easy when I look back. Then I I started doing other backpacking to. Other regions in the area, and then it spurred on more motorcycle trips as well. So I did a motorbike trip from Ulaanbaatar, in Mongolia, to the Gobi Desert and and back. So it was basically three was it a three weeks to a month of me on my own in Mongolia, and that was the idea. It was during my summer holiday. I took basically a month to do this trip, of like figuring out can I do the bike trip. If I can do this motorbike trip on my own where I don't actually have to pedal, I don't have to do anything, I just have to figure out how to get A to B on my own every day, not having any bookings or anything like that, then I can probably do this harder trip, which would be on a bicycle. Right. Um, So there's a lot of like stuff on TV about motorcycle trips, and they're awesome, but they're not they're hard, but they're not that hard. Right. And I would say in Mongolia, only five, only 5% of the, I I'm going on a tangent here, but like 5% of the roads are paved. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it's a tough place to ride a, even a motorbike. Yeah. Drive a car, anything like that. So, um, I knew I picked a place that if I could do that, I could do whatever and worked out really well. And I got, I did a trip in Laos as well on a motorbike. Um, uh, I backpack in, during that time, when I was in China, I went to Burma. I went to Bangladesh. Um, I went to Philippines and Thailand. Um, so some what not where many people, besides maybe like Thailand or Philippines, where people go on like holiday. Yeah, I remember my family asking me. I said, uh, I think it was like Christmas or something. I was like, I'm going to go to Bangladesh. They're like why? Why? Why is that your holiday? Mm-hmm. Uh, like go somewhere like. I was like, I live in a tropical place. Why do I? And, yeah. <laughs> and so for me, it made sense. Like I needed I want to see these countries. I want to meet these people. Yeah. And that was always the thoroughfare fare through. Um, and so I did enough of this like rough travel and that I knew I could do the bike trip. I thought also in the back of my mind, you're also not going to be able to do it because you don't know anything about bicycles, mm-hmm. fixing bicycles, of course, the same with like the The motorbike didn't know anything about it, but I knew in my mind, I'll just figure it out. Um and I think that that's how a lot of us live our lives anyway. Um but so I had the idea six years before, set the date. It was the day after I finished my contract, basically. It was the finish on a Friday, start bike start bike trip started on the Monday.
0: Nice. So where'd you go first on the bicycle?
1: I basically just started biking across the island. Yeah. I thought I was gonna be really tough and cool, and so the The Island obviously it was like it 's kind of like a pancake oval looking thing, like mm-hmm. the shape, and yeah. I was like i don 't want to go around the edge i 'll be all flat that 's boring i 'm going to go through the center mm-hmm. mountains, and uh it sounded great, but then, after like day three i couldn 't even like get up i right. couldn 't move yeah. Um, you know all the days of me like talking about the bike ride, I should've been probably training for the bike ride, right. which i wasn 't yeah. I was probably having beers, I was just. Hanging out with my friends, also with my with my girlfriend who now is my wife. So it I was doing all the things that I shouldn't have been doing before the bike ride. Yeah. But I thought I had two years, three years, whatever I needed to do to get in shape to do the thing. <laughs> so bike across uh I biked across China. Uh, uh, and at, at first. That was my first I like that's where I needed to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was uh, you know, the island Essentially, it took me about five days to get across. I thought it'd be like four, so like I could barely walk or move by the time. And then five's not too bad if yeah. you plan
0: for four. And, yeah, and, and so and it wasn't
1: that it wasn't that behind schedule already. There was no schedule, but I had like your own mental. Like I like to be there by that time, right? Yeah, you'll. I look at a map, um, but then. Um, China has these really cool things where, like, you just, like, a train will get on, like, a boat and go across to the mainland. And mm-hmm. so that's then, that's where the journey actually really started. Cause China's huge, man. Yeah. It's massive. It's not yeah. like Canada, where Canada's massive, but everyone lives everywhere in China. Yeah. There's, like, very few, like, there's in the West, there's sparsely po- populated areas, but it was, it was, they, it's populated everywhere and there's yeah. roads everywhere. So you have, like, limitless. Yeah. opportunity of where can I go in this country? And yeah. I knew I was going West and uh, I had one goal, which was go to Kashgar in China, which was the opposite of where I basically was. Yeah. Um, I thought it was all about like the Silk Road, like all those things. But I was, usually when people bike across China or do the trip across China, you start in Beijing, you follow the Great Wall mm. and you go across into Central Asia. If that. That's how a lot of people do this type of trip. So I had an opportunity where I got to see some parts of China and Southern China where most people, I would think, rarely would ever go. Mm-hmm. But it was at the beginning of this trip where I started to figure out what the whole thing was about. Um, and so the whole thing was about me meeting people. And that's why I did the trip. Mm-hmm. Essentially, was I had done all this other backpacking, all these other adventures and motorcycles, but I always found myself like heading to another site, heading to another like waterfall I'd never heard of, or like going to the next mountain or like I had to go on this hike or like everyone, what everyone told me I needed to do yeah. in that country or got to go eat this dish or like whatever. Um, and so this was my opportunity to actually meet the people living in the country right. um, and not like just the people at the tourist sites. And so, at first, I was very nervous, very scared to say hello to people. Even though I've been living in China, I could speak some Chinese, I could kind of get by. But opening up and being like, this is who I am, and all I'm looking for is a place to camp. Mm -hmm. And it took a bit of a month of me like being like scared and like you, know, you can't just camp in china there's like there's a lot of a lot of people and mm-hmm. so you, or you're gonna be camping in someone's like field or something like that you, that's trespassing so mm-hmm. um once i started to have that confidence and there was one specific moment where i just like got so fed up with myself and i started to say like i just said next person that you see at the end of this day like you picked the time you're just gonna go ask them can i camp at your house and i and i did that yeah. and they said yeah they're we like, great, come in for dinner. Let's have yeah. some beer and let's have some <laughs> some <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And uh, and some spicy food. It was in like central China. And uh that changed the entire trip. And cool. that's basically what I did for the next two years.
0: Yeah. I've never been to China, so I'm not really aware, but I think I'm aware a little bit more than most, because I, I have some friends who have lived in China and 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 I've I've heard a little bit about it. And one thing I know on a simple math level is that just there's so many people there. It's it's hard to even conceptualize yes. just how many people they are. Like we have thirty thirty. Let's say 36, thirty six. Yeah, thirty six million in this yeah. country.
1: Like that is the population of Chongqing, one yeah. city. Yeah, and like their biggest, one of their biggest cities. Yeah, to put that in perspective. Yeah, because of-
0: they're they're over a billion, and most people like most people think. Most people hear a million and a billion in terms of numbers, like millionaires and billionaires. And even at that, they don't realize the massive difference between one million and one billion. Just, sort of, well, it's the next billion yeah. up, <laughs> yeah. right? That's essentially, the next one. that's
1: a great comparison of like Canada's one million and China's, yeah, like, we're just like a small number.
0: Yeah, such a tiny number. Now, yeah. how, like, being uh, having lived, having traveled through it, having lived on an island, have, having, how much, how different is it, is it from place to place? I, mean, I know there's a lot of language dialects. Is the language you learned on the island, did it carry you over throughout throughout the rest of the the country? Or did you wind up into problems because you're in this city and all of a sudden their they're Chinese is a completely different Chinese? Um, were their attitudes different? Like how much did it, how variable was it?
1: Everywhere had their own dialect. Yeah. Um, however, the thoroughfare is the Mandarin Chinese. The okay. Mandarin Chinese, unless you're in, south and southeastern China and Guangdong province or you know the Hong Kong area of uh, of of, you know that part of the country so that's Cantonese Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise it's Mandarin and they all have their own accents they'll speak Mandarin but someone in Beijing is not going to sound the same as someone in Xi'an or Chengdu or whatever but then within that you have every like every not even, not even every province, like even like every, sometimes city, your hometown has their own language. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, you have that Mandarin thoroughfare, but all, you know, my wife is Chinese and she speaks Mandarin Chinese growing up, but they have their hometown language. And when we go to visit or like, yeah, you know, they, they're talking, they're usually not talking in Mandarin. Right. Um, they're speaking like a combination of their hometown language. Um, and it 's not really written down either it 's all spoken um and it 's very uh it it sounds similar in some ways, but in some parts of the world like I have no like some parts of China I have no idea what is happening mm-hmm. even though i can you see I can pick out a couple things yeah sometimes it would sound like Vietnamese sometimes it would sound like from like Russia or like it was very depends on where you were yeah. uh, in the in China, and so eventually. You know, I was in a part of uh, Sichuan province, which is, it was all, it was basically in Tibet in some, in some ways. And everyone there spoke Tibetan. Yeah, um, They spoke their own dialects there. And then you're in Xinjiang region of China and everyone speaks like their version of Arabic. Um, mm. And so like as the main language that they would speak with their family, right? Yeah. Um, and then they also know Mandarin, a lot of people. So you can get by and and deal with bureaucracy and like all the things that come with living with, within china mm-hmm. so i got to visit some all i would say all the unique regions of the country and see the different dialects kind of like flourish and it's very like a very beautiful thing mm-hmm. but i don't think a thing that's very embraced by the higher ups within <laughs> within the government right it's obviously mandarin chinese yeah like make sure that you're you know your mandarin and you know it well and the characters and all the things like that but um, I think it's a, it's an amazing thing. And what's happening is, uh, you know, especially, uh, and I don't want to get too political, but what's happening in like Xinjiang and like that part of the country is an effort to, you know, not embrace that culture. And mm-hmm. same with like the local, there's local minority regions that have also been, you know, you're expected to speak Mandarin, just the same as we did in Canada. Yeah. So that is a, an example of, you know... Homogenization. Yeah, homogenization of yeah. like this is the way of the highway and this is the power of the time mm-hmm.
0: i always enjoy the different ways people talk when i travel mm-hmm. i mean my experience is really just with english because i've i've never left uh never n- left north america myself but even going out to like newfoundland of course i yes. loved it what do yeah. you have bye i love <laughs> i love <laughs> yeah, getting all the different sayings out there. i come home saying them like in, with in in a celebratory way, I, it's it's just so fun hearing all the different yeah you takes learn from it yeah, yeah you grow yeah so you where did you wind up after like getting out of China when you you crossed the Chinese border into where
1: into Kyrgyzstan so never
0: even heard of Kyrgyzstan
1: <laughs> most people oh, haven't yeah. uh, it is a landlocked Central Asian country that probably only has. Maybe five people that go to the Olympics, like yeah. kind of thing. Like, that's why you don't like, they're not on the world stage of like some sort of sport or something. Yeah. Like, that's why you're not hearing about them. We don't have a lot of imports from Kyrgyzstan, yeah. a lot of trade deals. There's not a lot of news that really gets here. Um, but that was the next ticket. It was either there or, uh, or Kazakhstan would have been yeah. the next one. Okay. Um, kind of thing. So I chose K- Kazakhstan, I know. Yeah, Kazakhstan. So just south of Kazakhstan is Kyrgyzstan. Gotcha. Um, and so I chose Kyrgyzstan because it was actually one of my main places I wanted to see on the trip because it was going to be stunningly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it didn't disappoint. Essentially, think nomadic, <clears throat> nomadic uh, people that ride horses and they travel around with their sheep and yurts. And so they travel around with their home. They go with the land, yep. with the seasons. They travel with their herd. Everything that they have and 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 create is their own. And so I was like, I need to see this place. Yeah. It was similar in Mongolia, but I, this was a bit more raw. More Russian influence there too yep. in Kyrgyzstan than, yep. than Mongolia I found. More Chinese influence in, in Mongolia, Russian in Kyrgyzstan. People spoke Kyrgyz and Russian. I mm-hmm. um, crossed the border and a guy close the gate because I had to have a specific time I needed to be there because there was only going to be a guy that come at the gate at a certain time. Okay. And I got to the gate, lets me in, he closes it, gets away, drives away in a truck and I'm just there. And <clears throat> there was like an eagle like going over and I'm like, holy. And I didn't see a person for about two days. Wow. And uh, camped out, it snowed. It was only September and uh, it was I was probably... 3,000 meters in elevation at that point and it was like this is what you'd been looking for in some way like that adventure that yeah. like I'm in it I'm figuring it out and then I started to see like the little uh, white kind of canvas tops in, off, in the, off the road off in the distance and then I uh, would just bike off the road at the end of the day and uh, kind of come up to someone's house and you know act out you know, want to camp because right. w- there was a lot of, uh, I felt um, you don't want to be discovered in the middle of nowhere. in the like camp being with people is safe. Yeah. It's actually, sometimes we think we need to get away from people to be safe, but actually if you are at night alone, you know, in the middle of a country, you don't understand fully. You'd want to be on someone's land. You don't understand. Yeah. Um, or like a, whatever some natural disaster comes through anyway. So being with people was best and I just asked them to camp and most time they welcomed me into their home Mm -hmm. and you know, I would share what humbly I could give, which was I had a budget every day of about $10, but their, their budget every day wasn't $10. Mm -hmm. They had like what everything procured that day. And uh, we got to share meals like, we do, like, most random things at night. I help with, like, chores, mm-hmm. like, milking goats. And, like, <laughs> like they're like, you're here, you're helping. Yeah. Like, you're not just, like, gonna eat our food and hang out. Like, yeah. yeah. You're, you're a random weird guest, but please, like, we have chores to do at night, and all the kids be pitching in, and yeah. then we go to bed, and it was like, okay, this is, I'll be leaving. Like, every day I would leave. Next yeah. day I wasn't gonna stay with the family, and sometimes in the morning, like, they'd be packing up the whole house because the herd's moving. Yeah. Very, uh different different life there
0: yeah i'll bet my uh a friend of mine has uh he's actually he's engaged to a girl from kazakhstan i think this is the third time i've mentioned this th- this project on the podcast it keeps coming up but he was in tibet and and did a, a little short a short film on a tibetan family that does just that they have they farm yaks and they move every single oh. season and set up their yurt and tear down their yurt yep and, yeah
1: yeah it's a uh, definitely a You have to, like, you want to live that life. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. No. It's a, but a very rewarding rewarding life, like a a life that, you know, you've earned in every aspect.
0: Yeah. I had another friend who traveled through some similar regions of the world and and stayed in some yurts and, and stuff. And one thing that she learned was, I mean, this is certainly not unique to that area, but that, that there was this attitude of like, you better eat the food that's put in front of you. Like, don't not eat it. Like this is precious food and we've shared it with you. So do not dare disrespect us by not eating this incredibly disgusting thing. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least, at least to to, the inexperienced, to
1: to a different palate. Exactly. I I mean, when the first time I ate kimchi Uh was like, whoa, no, um. Then I I can't get enough of it. Like you have to. It's a it, like a lot of these foods that were like whoa is. It's a bit of acquired sometimes taste. And there is like there's also another thing. Like you could be eating on it. I've think about I thought about this sometimes on the bike trip. Was this like a really bad cook, or was this a really good cook? Yeah. Like like I, like, like like some people like they're not good at cooking and they just have to. Yeah. And then someone showed up. And they got cook every day, but like my wife or my husband, like they, whoever, they suck at cooking. So I don't know. Um, But the one specific, and it was in Mongolia and it was in Kyrgyzstan. As soon as you start mentioning that, was this drink? It's called Arg. It Doesn't even sound good. Yeah. Uh, Or Kumis. Uh, It's it's fermented horse milk. That's an alcoholic drink. Right. And it's at every, and they, it's in a bucket usually, and they travel it travels with them, yeah. uh, and it's like summer drink, um, alcoholic, and there's always someone with a stick kind of moving it around mm-hmm. and kind of fermenting it more. It is the very sour drink, yeah. to put it nicely, yeah. and they're watching you when you drink that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and after a while, I started to like it. Yeah. And I was like, because th- everyone would offer it to me, and it yeah. became like, okay. Yeah. I was like looking forward to it. Where is it? Like, I and mean, then sometimes I would drink it, and I'm like, that last place had better Stuff, yeah. Better arg. (laughs) better arg, yeah. Yeah. And that place had better arg. You should go talk to them. They're maybe your horse is sick. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was cool that way to get to experience a different local food. Yeah. And um and also like uh a lesson in like table manners.
0: Yeah, we're definitely not uh not as open to fermented milk products.
1: No, that's the opposite of what we would. Yeah. I mean, we like yogurt.
0: Yes. Everybody's cool with yogurt yeah. but it kind of stops there. I like kefir. Was arg a little bit like kefir? I never really I never really had kefir. Kefir's kind of like What is that? It's just like a liquidy yogurt, really. So this
1: would probably be similar.
0: It's like a liquidy yogurt. Very
1: very sour this one and like things yeah. floating in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kefir Kefir's a little more homogenized, but it's uh it's like uh effervescent. It's a little bit carbonated from the light bubbles in, in a good... This, this,
1: it, it, this was a little bit carbonated as well. Yeah. 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 Interesting.
0: So, Kyrgyzstan, and yeah. then sort of working your way, weaving your way into your up to Europe, or did you um, go down to yeah, Africa so,
1: way? Um, that was the ultimate goal was to get from where I started was the tip of Africa, mm-hmm. and then get a boat or a plane to South America, make my way back up to Canada. That gotcha. was the idea. Like, I'll get there. Don't know what order of countries it's going to happen in. I had a plan fell apart pretty quickly um, so only three countries went as planned um, so it was China and Kyrgyzstan and then I was I was going to be at Uzbekistan mm-hmm. so that's where I went next very unique country a lot of cotton growing they call it the heart of the Silk Road like Samarkand and Bukhara these places this is where like the people in the so it's like basically the center mm-hmm. of the Silk Road and a lot of old buildings that are extravagant. And then you get into, it's it's basically a Muslim country. And so from there, I had a choice to make because at the time, Canadian-Iranian relationship was very poor. Poorer than it probably had ever been in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I was not able to go through there with... Without a guide or something, it was very intense uh, at that point uh, in Canadian politics, yeah. apparently. And so I had a choice to make, and I just and it was easier to go to Afghanistan, so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And so I got my Afghani visa in Bishkek, in in the capital of Kyrgyzstan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I had to go to a little interview with a, with a man, explain why I wanted to go there, and it was essentially I wanted to go there because I wanted to meet the people that were living there. And I knew from meeting other travelers who had spoken, I was meeting people coming the other way, essentially. I met like one or two people that had been there or were going there. Yeah. And it seemed like something that I needed to do. And I started researching it and you know, I get to a city and I have someone to stay with and uh, use the internet and look up the language and figure out what is safe, what is not safe. And uh, eventually, I just made up my mind I was going to do it. And it was probably the best choice the entire bike trip. I would say if of all countries I went to, on this entire thing, was my most memorable. The one that I I tell the most stories from. It wasn't even a very long time that I was in the country, Mm -hmm. but most vivid memories of people, of sites, of history, and just the, the sheer misconception of what our world is about and that in that part of the world is about specifically okay and what i found there was that and this is going to sound like obvious but people are just people yeah and i knew that going in but i needed to be able to tell that story i often say besides sudan was my kindest place on the entire trip Hmm. and what is happening there now is really terrible yeah but it wasn't That like there was still the issues happening there. Like there was pockets of the country when I was there that were still it was at war. It was, but I knew the places I could go and could not go.
0: Remind me what year this is that you're in Afghanistan? This is
1: this would be 2014. Okay, and the situation is southern Afghanistan is heavily controlled by the Taliban still. Pockets of the north where I was, and even Kabul city, still like pockets of control. By the Taliban, mm-hmm. and just fighting back and forth with the, the Americans, the coalition troops, and uh, destruction since the 70s with the, with, with the Russian invasion. Yeah. So, a country that many people have never known anything but war. Yeah. Which I think is very hard to anyone to relate to. Like, only there's a country in the world that has been at war as long as, or been in conflict as long as Afghanistan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very... How do you rebuild? How do you build up? How do you
0: Yeah, it's it's hard, I think, for most people here to even even imagine. I mean, if you're a Canadian who's grown up on Canadian soil and, and yes. never joined the military to go to go off to a war, like there hasn't been any wars on Canadian soil as long as we've been a country. There's been protests, but yeah. like that's not the same. Yeah, we've no. we've been stuck in COVID for a couple of years. Yeah, we've got a battle a against the virus, but the virus isn't blowing up buildings.
1: No. And when I was in uh, Kabul, there was daily bombings. Yeah. And even then, 2014, there was things happening every day. Uh, still, uh, obviously, it was. I took a risk going there. I do not recommend. Ever, like, don't go there now. Don't mm-hmm. do that. It, it was a. It was a calculated choice I had to make, and I wasn't lingering anywhere. And what I saw was amazing food, beautiful mountains, a fall that looks like ours with green. green Trees and changing colors, and wonderful people that welcome me into their houses, wel- and welcome me to sit and eat with them and tell me their stories. Mm-hmm. Which is what I decided and was kind of tasked to do in that moment was to tell those stories mm-hmm. of the people that I was meeting and the challenges they saw, and and people that really have known nothing but war. Mm-hmm. And as you said it before; it's very hard for us to relate. Yeah. And
0: anyway. Yeah. So, what kind of stories would they tell you?
1: There would be moments where. They would tell a story about a family member that was lost, someone doing something that was terrible to their family. Or a lot of the stories would be about just the way the things used to be. Mm -hmm. That's actually what I heard a lot of stories about, specifically from an older generation where people remember people walking down the streets with the tourists coming in the 70s. Like tourists used to be like the kind of a bit of a hippie trail yeah uh, you go to afghanistan a bunch of opium like and all that stuff uh and have a weird time um but like the stories of people being able to be free mm-hmm. like they never it hasn't been that way forever so a lot of stories of i liked those stories the best obviously the other stories i usually just didn't know what to say besides sorry one man saying 46 like 46 countries have come I remember it was always like 46 in my mind, like him telling me that number, that 46 countries have come to Afghanistan to help us, but Mm -hmm. nothing is better. Like it's, it's. I think it's hard to grasp um, the amount of that has been taken. Storekeepers telling me American troops coming into their store and stealing from them. Yeah. Like just taking like what little they had to sell and just taking like it, like just for their families or just like just, stealing basically from poor people yeah. that are at war anyway, like garbage stories um, that make you like, think what was this whole thing about? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is anyway, but there's just people just trying to make it by that day. Yeah. And,
0: uh, well, it's gotta be a lesson in hope.
1: It was. And, and what I saw there was incredibly proud people of their country, incredibly proud people of just being able to live another day and get up and, you know, go and live their life the way that they believe it to be lived um, in their own way, whether that is based upon religion or not. Mm-hmm. What I saw and was the, what we see in the news is, and everyone kind of, I think, knows this, doesn't say it. It's like the 1% of that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Everyone else is just waking up, hanging out with their family. Being a person. Being a person, they a lot of them. They go to mosque a couple times a day, or depending on like their level of commitment, um, pray, eat food, drink a lot of tea, mm-hmm. and have a couple of poops. Go to bed. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, like it's, um, not that dissimilar. But that's not what we're we're Everybody seeing. Everybody poops. Everybody poops yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So that's it was really impactful for me, and specifically meeting one guy. His name. is an eighty six year old man named Haj Abdul. I I often tell his story but he basically said like he'd seen all these changes through his life and country and in si- the city of Kabul and and he was a carpet salesman and basically at the end of it he told me like soon my time here is going to be finished yeah. this is your time to make a change in the world like he's probably said that to other people or has uh, to younger generations of Afghanis, yeah and was that share the stories Share because he remembered the time of it, what it used to be like there. Yeah. And uh that's kind of what I want to keep telling his story.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine as as a scenario like that drags on for that long, that's gotta be that's gotta be one of the biggest fears is like what happens when nobody's left to remember when it was better. Then you just assume this is the way it is. Yeah, like this is just baseline now. Nobody nobody even has any Concept of what better is, yikes!
1: Yeah, and you just think this is the best as it as it is. I haven't been anywhere besides twenty kilometers from my house. Mm-hmm. This is how the world is. I see things on TV. It must not be that way. It can't be that way. I'll mm-hmm. never get there. Mm-hmm. This is the way it is. Crazy. Yeah, but uh, from there, uh, made my way into India. And obviously not taking a straight route home at any point on this trip. Um, and it did about two months in India. That was the most hectic thing ever. Um, on the bicycle, I was honked at all day long. I drank a lot of chai and, uh, lost my mind essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like personal space, privacy, but ate like a King, Mm -hmm. most delicious food you can ever imagine. Um, and uh, kind of
0: cycled from the top of the country to the bottom of the country you're my third guest in a row who spent a good chunk of time in india
1: it you can't go for a day you can't go for a week you gotta go at least for a month yeah yeah because oh, it might have me get there anyway but uh.
0: my guest actually not third guest in a row logan brown was my last guest episode just came out today right. he's never been to india at least i don't think he has i'm Maybe speaking out of turn. But he didn't bring it up. He certainly didn't bring it up. <laughs> yeah, he would probably come up. But before you, it was uh it was uh uh Jared and Josie from Muddy Valley. They've yep. uh, they've done some time in India. Before that was uh Andrew Howard, who was yep. in India for like a year. I know I know them both. Yeah. Yep.
1: And uh I think it teaches you something. Yeah. wacky and wild. It's not the it's not the calm streets of Smith Falls. Yeah. Like China's busy. China is a busy country. A lot of people on motorbikes and whizzing here and there. It's not comparable uh, in any way to, the, the sheer chaos. Uh, and, but not, I don't, sorry, I should take that back. Not chaos. It's, like, controlled in a, it's like a flow. Mm-hmm. Every, everything is, like, has a flow. You can't, like, just divert to the right. Yeah, Or, like, right. you know, like, everything has a flow in, in life there, I find. Yeah. It's, uh you know, cows wandering everywhere. Um, it, I mean, you've probably heard it <laughs> before. But it, it is uh, a very unique place in that a lot of i find this very i wasn't there for yoga or anything like that um, i did find pockets of foreigners that were there specifically for the yoga and it's like that like the mecca of yoga yeah and i get that but in amidst all the chaos there is like this tranquility yeah which is very very interesting i'm going one day. Yeah. And if, if you going. have like a one-way, you know, like not one-way ticket, but like a ticket to somewhere and you just got to like, I need to like see something that's diff- completely different than any I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. It's India for sure. Yeah. Or some part of the, like Bangladesh or somewhere nearby because mm-hmm. it is quite busy and yeah. intense and nothing
0: like we have at home. So you worked your way through India.
1: Yes. And so at that point, so originally my plan was to go through Syria. And so on the trip, my plan was I ran and then into into Syria and down mm. in the Middle East and you know make my way down Africa yeah. oh it was all it was gonna be rosy or whatever but as I started the trip that's actually when the situation that's when things change in Syria right when everything changed there yeah. in that part of the world and so I had to make a choice I knew I couldn't bike the whole thing in one go anymore it wasn't gonna happen right um, so I was like I'm gonna go to India I'm and do a loop there and then I'm gonna Basically, fly to as close as to where I should be mm-hmm. on that journey, and so I flew. Which would have been if I went through Iran, I would have popped out in Turkey. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went, Turkey, mm-hmm. and I started cycling across Turkey, down in through into Europe. I went through Greece, I went through uh, like Macedonia, Albania, to, into Italy. So I got a quick boat across into Italy. Mm-hmm. My family has Italian heritage, so that was kind of cool, yeah. um, and it's specifically Sicilian
0: hist- uh, heritage. Do you have any family still over there? We do,
1: uh, like, not, like, it's been so many generations. Right. Like, we do, but it's not like we're we're hanging out um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I went to the city. There's, like, all my family, all they know about is, like, there's, like, a grave site okay. on my grandmother's side. Yeah. So I visited that, and uh, <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm here. And then I don't know any
0: of these people. You didn't just randomly bump into some guy on the street who looked exactly like you, but spoke Italian.
1: No, I was given directions and all that fun stuff where to go. People had kind of made, they've been there in Italy and like, this is where, this is the last we know of our family or like whatever. Um, It was was cool. But then from there, made my way to Malta, uh, which is a tiny little island south of Sicily. I know about Malta. Beautiful. It's like a place with fast cars and nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of money. Yeah. like a lot of old buildings uh well, what do you know about Malta
0: I watched a viral video yeah about Malta uh it's a cool it's, place it was it was it was something about somebody who became uh a celebrity in Malta mm. like unbeknownst to themselves they were oh like
1: one of that like um they were famous Sugar in Malta. man kind of ideas like were yeah but yeah, it, was, yeah. it was
0: it was some it was like a just like a normal person yeah like it wasn't just Somebody first. in the entertainment industry, the, the details are escaping me, but if Arthur, if, you, I'd look yeah, that up. if you Google like, I went viral, I got famous in Malta or something. <laughs> okay. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm going to look it
1: Please up. Please do. That's uh, It's a small place. So like if you made like some sort of impact, like it's quite easily to be known. Like it's not, it's a very small island. And the fact that it has its own government independence, all this stuff, like it's, uh, it's not Italy in any way. It's its own thing.
0: I accidentally became famous in another country. It's a YouTube video, so I'm not going to watch it. But yeah, you can. <laughs> I accidentally became famous in Malta. I'll in check it out country. when I, I, when I, I, I get got, home. There's another one that so, said, yeah. I'm BuzzFeed. I'm famous in the country of Malta.
1: Like a question mark? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know that that was going to be on my trip didn't know it. I didn't even plan to go to Europe at this point. So yeah. we're like, kind of like understanding how little I have planned at this point mm-hmm. was I didn't think I was going to Europe. I thought my trip was going to go you know, Uzbekistan. I, I Syria, like into Lebanon, um, Jordan, the, that part of the world into Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've taken like a bit of a detour and fortunately had to break it up with a plane. But so I, I biked more, I would say by doing what I did than if I just kept, kept going. So, Eventually, made my way to to North Africa to um, to Cairo. I made it into Cairo and started to make my way down the African Odyssey, the Cairo to Cape. That was the next. That was like the thing I had to do, mm. in terms of like seeing a part of the world. Being like, I did this trip, yeah, and it'd be very easy to snub Africa. I think it's very easy to be like, oh, I'll just do Europe because that's so much... There's so many little countries. There's so much to see. And it's so, I would say, so so well-traveled. You could, there's a hostel in every city mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. Um, and there's people that will welcome you in in terms of like... You could find like... There's websites like couch surfing, that type of stuff. Yep. I knew Africa wasn't going to have any of that um, bits and pieces here and there. So started to do the Cairo to Cape. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... Six months getting from Cairo all the way down to Cape Town. Wow. So in six months of good biking, like I probably, I could, if I took my time, I could have done it, it would have been a year if I actually like, you know, weaved into that other country Mm -hmm. or like, uh, like, you know, popped into, into, uh, you know, Zambia or something like that, or like into the Congo. So how many hours a day
0: were you biking? About
1: at that time, on average, probably, it was like a job, like eight Okay. I'd be like in the saddle eight hours. Yeah. Sometimes like if it was like, I'm really pushing it to like somewhere when it, there's nowhere, no one was expecting me. So it wasn't like I had to be anywhere. I was like, Oh, I'm going to get like, they're waiting for me. Yeah, Like no yeah. one, no, no one cares. And no one at home was like, Oh, you be, I thought you were going to be in like, <laughs> I thought you were going to be in Nairobi by now. Like yeah. no one cares. No one gives a shit. And so sometimes 10 hours a day, something like that. And by this point in the trip, you know it's not as much m- much physical as it is mental being able to get in the saddle when the w- when the weather is like really crappy yeah or you're just like been in, I've been riding for like a week straight and I haven't had a day off yeah. or something like that or just been really windy. That's the worst. You're pretty
0: physically conditioned by this point. At this I point,
1: gathered. yeah, I am. I I did not start physically conditioned as I ma- I couldn't even get out of bed the yeah. next day. Like yeah. like on the verge of throwing up. Like just like thinking about another hill. Like the second day, I'm pushing my bicycle that weighs probably a hundred pounds like up a hill for like an hour. Like uh, idiot and like oh so dumb and no. No planning, clearly. Like throwing stuff or giving away stuff to people so my bike would be lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm just like up on the pedals, going up that next hill with a, you know, 100-pound bike, laid it down with water. It, and as long as my mind let me do it at this point. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. And if it was windy. Yeah. <laughs> with a heavy bike, you, wind is not your friend. Did
0: you pop any tires?
1: A lot. Yeah. A lot. The most flat tires I got in it one day was in India and it was six. Wow. That sucks. Especially when you got to take off the tire and you got to like do the whole thing, find the hole, patch it up and then put everything back together, take put all the bags back on and you're sweating the whole time. You're losing water whole time. And then you got, you bike again and then you're just like flat again. Yeah. The issue was in that part of India, people were literally throwing glass and nails across the road and there'd be like tire shops everywhere. So just so people would pop their tire and they had to fix it. Right, right, right. Just a moneymaker. And I was a part of that. I had my own patches and stuff, but like... (laughs) Anyway, but flat tires everywhere.
0: I went through... You never researched tubeless tires before your trip?
1: (laughs) Not for like the bike that I could afford. Uh, and, uh, And you wouldn't want to... At least I could fix a tube. Yeah. If the tire went then that's it. Like I know my tires get worn down, but the tube, as long as I don't hit anything, yeah. you know, when it gets really worn down. So I went through about, I went through, I know I have them all recorded, the 13 tires. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was also like 40 some, 50 some tubes. Yeah. of wow. uh, Just like, sh- and there was always like, switch- it wasn't just like, oh,
0: I got a flat, oh, I got a new tube.
1: It Did you ever like get su- stuck
0: on your last tube? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Like there was a point, I was in Tanzania and biking, and I was in the middle of nowhere. Well, what I thought was like some, in the middle of nowhere, someone, somewhere. Um, but like I was there on the side of the road, no glue, no like patches, total stupid, like no nowhere near a town, uh, flat tire. So mm-hmm. um, essentially just was standing there f- trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do? No way I can tape this. Like I'm just like stuck here. I'm going to... W- stand here and figure it out i've never seen it it only happened once in the entire trip a father and a son come around the corner on a tandem bicycle from england on a bike trip and they had glue and patches and we rode together for like a week nice and then i met them again in malawi like after that so it Mm -hmm. was one of those moments where you're like i screwed up really badly and i'm stuck here and then like basically, like the, just these two guys just came out of nowhere on a tandem. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? Now nah, this isn't. I was like, they better stop. Like they better stop. Like I <laughs> like they better like they better like not bike past me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that. that was my last thought. I was like, no way, they got to stop. Like yeah. just like crazy guy. You got you got glue. Like I was like, what for? What? Like no. Anyway, but
0: <laughs> so you made it through Africa. What did you call it? Cairo to Cape. The Cairo to Cape. Cairo That's Cairo like
1: Cape. a lot of motorcycle. Trips are built, like, the long way down. Like, yep. that coast kind of journeys are ar- ar- around that. You know, that's the Cairo, Sudan, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. Kenya, and, like, all the way down to, you know, South Africa, and then Cape Town. And then it was either get a boat or take a plane. The boat was really not p- going to happen uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, cost, in terms of waiting, uh, in terms of just... It was not financially possible for me. Mm-hmm. Planes are cheaper than boats now and uh, more legal. So took an airplane to Argentina, Buenos Aires, and uh, started to make my way back back up South America through Central America and North America. Mm -hmm. And uh, along the way, I mean, in South America, like, I just came from Africa. It's a completely different world. Like, you're, I mean, South Africa is uh, for sure the most developed country in all of Africa. Mm -hmm. But then going, so it wasn't that bad of a transition in terms of, like, development, but the language was immediately different. Everyone's speaking Spanish. Argentina is a very, very like, uh, very developed country. It'd be, you know, same with Uruguay and like uh, going into parts of Brazil that I got to go through. Yeah. Very developed. So it was kind of like, okay, this is like, South America, light, like mm-hmm. it was a very, very easy welcome in rolling, slow hills, and it felt like parts of Canada in some in some ways. And until I got into Brazil, and then Paraguay, where it was like not like anything I had seen before.
0: So you went Argentina to Uruguay to Uruguay,
1: yeah, and then into Brazil, Brazil, and so in southern Brazil, that's when it got like really humid. It's like a famous waterfall. Iguazu Falls—it's like one of the big ones that you see in like nature specials. Mm-hmm. So I went there, but from there, the traditional route is, or whatever people usually do, is you immediately go to Patagonia. Well, I was coming south to north. Well, every, the thing is, you need to be going north to south, or you're going, the wind is not—it's not going to happen for you. Okay. Um, it is going to be a treacherous. Go. Because um, that's usually where the prevailing winds flow is through north to south in, in that part of the world. So I was, I'm going to take a different route. So that's what happened in going into Brazil into eventually Paraguay, which mm-hmm. it's a landlocked country, kind of that like country you don't hear anything about. Yeah. Uh, yeah like, yeah. it's like, okay, where is that? Is that Uruguay? No. Is it Paraguay? Like, not, are they good at soccer? I don't know. Um, like that kind of. And so... Kind of
0: like Kyrgyzstan.
1: Yeah, it's one of those parts of the world, you know, where you just get to go and you're like, I don't. No one knows anything about this place, at least that I know, and I'm going to see what's about. So I was, I was not disappointed with Paraguay. It ended up being one of the places where I also like think about the most and have the most vivid memories because Mm -hmm. I have to be the most present because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, It's less predictable. Is that where the guy pulled the shotgun on you? the shotgun yeah uh and and and, yeah i got a i got a shotgun pulled on me uh not at me but on like he had it
0: yeah and he was holding it he was holding it yeah and you knew knew from his eyes he knew how to use it oh yeah he was gonna get me
1: uh he uh essentially so i got on this road and so in paraguay it was really hilly in the east and then i got to this like the capital asunción really like happening in capital mm-hmm. like a cool place to party and hang out and uh and uh meet really interesting people i met anyway well i i, I go on tangent but anyway so uh essentially the guy with the shotgun will focus um was essentially i got on this road and it was called the gran chaco of paraguay and it is like the flattest road you can ever imagine and it does not turn for well if you're on a bike for days it was probably i did not have a hill i did not have like a turn yeah it was straight into like this abyss of just like these trees that look like something out of like a dr seuss book um into nowhere It must get
0: a little surreal
1: oh it was it was like you're losing your mind and then the road slowly is getting worse and worse and worse like am i biking into hell um essentially and then along the way, I'm like, I got to camp. I got a I gotta place to stay every night, or like I got to like, find somewhere every day. Um, and so I see this guy off the distance, and I wave so far away. figure, I don't know, he has a rake in his hand. It's that far away. I don't know what he has. He yeah. trudges on up. As he gets closer, I'm still smiling and waving. Closer and closer, he has a shotgun. I'm like, oh, well, I can't leave now. I've mm-hmm. made my choice that I'm going to greet the man with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I saw guns throughout the world, but this just seemed... Like throughout the world, a lot of people just carry guns, but it seemed not what I where somewhere I was supposed to be. Yeah. Um and the fact that he was patrolling, essentially. And uh I just I, I still asked. I just asked. Because I had made it up my mind I was going to ask for place right. to camp. I still ask him. He's like No. <laughs> and I was like, That way. Go that way. There's a you can camp that way. I was like,
2: Okay, cool.
1: And I biked away and I smiled and I waved and you just Whole time with the gun, I was like, he could just pick me off. I better get going. And so it's gone, and I biked really fast um, down the straight road. Which he like, if he wanted to come get me, he could come get me. Yeah. <laughs> so or tell someone there's a guy looking at yeah. camp.
0: Yeah, he's up there. See that little dot? He's For still sure, there. Yeah.
1: that place was either. Anyway, nothing good was happening yeah. at that home. Anyway, uh, but on this road, it was essentially a week and a half straight, and the road turned. hmm. And then it was like another two days straight and then turned again. And then I was in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was like there was an ex-military base in the middle of nowhere there. There was a colony of Mennonite Germans uh, in the middle of Paraguay. And they had like working the whole, everything was deteriorating and there's a the working banks and hotels and it was space land. Uh, yeah. All of a sudden there's like this functioning society in the middle of nowhere. Um, like museums and like yeah. cut grass and like. That's
0: one of my favorite things about traveling is seeing places that just kind of make you say like, how is this here? How is, what? No, no idea. It just blows your mind yeah that.
1: I did a lot of research into it, but that's a whole Anyway, um, but yeah, so eventually you make, I made it into Bolivia and all of a sudden, it's, it seems what I've found with countries and crossing borders, as soon as you cross a border, it's different. It's just, it's just different yeah. in that all of a sudden this country is hilly well, this country, this country has mountains because right. Paraguay did not have any of that. Yeah. And then, you know, the same thing happened in Ethiopia when I crossed from Sudan to yeah. Ethiopia. Lily mountains immediately yeah, yeah. began. Yeah. Uh, and same with happened in Bolivia. I spent you no know, days, just days crawling up hills. Yeah. That's all I did in Bolivia was crawl up hills and see beautiful, beautiful landscapes and get to go through like salt flats and like uh-huh. this type of stuff at wild altitudes uh-huh. and like, dehydrated all the things
0: i mean i guess that makes sense back you know back in the day that's how they drew the, a lot of borders i guess as well that's the don't, this is don't the, come past where the yeah. mountain starts it's ours
1: this is this is the that's you know obviously they didn't draw their own borders most of these countries yeah. uh but that's how the colonial conquistadors or whoever yeah. you want to call them that yeah. part of the world um that's how they look that's the hilly part yeah. you don't want that you can have that right so, yeah, made it through. Uh, I mean, Bolivia, like the the thing that you have to do is go in the salt flats. It's like mm-hmm. the thing. It, it basically, it's again flatness, but you're only up at like 4,000 meters above sea level. So it's like your body has to acclimatize to the low oxygen right. and, and all that. And then from there, it was into Peru. And Peru, again, like I was in the whole time now, you're in the Andes. And basically, thank goodness I didn't start there because. I don't know how I would have ever done it. Like right, you the, got you
0: got a chance to, to condition yourself. Condition a my
1: more. legs yeah. and then like in the, the because I came up on, on a on bike, I would meet people that came into Bolivia or, or, or Peru on like a week holiday and they'd be like in bed all the time because of the altitude. Yeah, yeah. yeah and like yeah. they, they, it affects different people in different ways. It depends on what you're doing. A lot of people you fly in, you gotta do the hike and then you just like kill yourself. Yeah. But I could come up slow and i was like a slow like i hit a hill but in peru that was the ultimate in terms of like your cycling prowess can you do this cuz i would bike in the morning i would wake up usually i you you always sleep low and that it's just easier yeah. so in a valley yeah. um more people more everything um food everything like that and so then i would bike uphill i would do like one hill a day yeah one hill that's the hill that that's happening today uphill all day long Probably 70 kilometers, 60 kilometers uphill, get to the top, have an amazing downhill, Mm -hmm. wish it would never end, and then probably find somewhere to sleep and then do it all again the next day.
0: Well, I'd have to imagine your sleep hours are worth a lot more at the lower altitude yeah if, that's if oxygen's an issue right yeah exactly you're that's that's where you're doing all your repairing your restoration while you sleep and if you're only at half oxygen levels or something then that's uh that's gonna take a hit
1: yeah i made the mistake of camping too high in the tibet region in the beginning of my trip and i learned like i woke up gasping for air yeah
0: i couldn't breathe
1: and i got like get out of my tent like i was like i can't i actually can't breathe yeah <laughs> so it, you because yeah, I came up all in one day. Amateur mistake, I guess.
0: So up past Machu Picchu.
1: Oh, yeah, I went to Machu Picchu and uh, did all like did the photos and yeah. all this stuff. Um, you know, it's famous for a reason. I'm incredible, but what I was seeing already was like I was besides like the actual structure. I was see- what I love is mountains too. So yeah. I was seeing all these mountains anyway; like they look quite similar to where I was biking yeah. every day. And uh, then made my way from there into the Amazon.
0: I did my fifth grade geography project on Machu Picchu. On Machu Picchu, yeah, yeah
1: it's a- it's a- fascinating. The Inca, yeah. like, we're gonna build it on like the most inaccessible mountain ever, and the stairs are gonna be one centimeter each. And like, <laughs> oh man, like it. uh you know you you want to make sure that you build in a place that everyone's going to talk about pretty cool but from there yeah made my way into the amazon and i, I had an issue obviously with the uh, the amazon is there's no roads eventually and so mm. i took this as an opportunity well i think well i thought at that moment well it deserved break and uh, i was going to take the take like the amazon journey i always thought well, i would never be able, i never knew i could do something like that mm-hmm. and it was a, I think it was a series of six boats through two two weeks up into Ecuador from from Peru in the in the Amazon basin, gotcha. Went to a place called Iquitos. It's usually uh, you know it's like the largest inaccessible c- city in the world. Essentially, you got to fly everything in or boat everything in. There's no roads. Right. Yeah. Um, the road the the Amazon is the road. Um, and through the Amazon, I got to see all the the terrible things that we do as humans to nature Mm -hmm. um, right there in front of your face. But uh, it was also amazing to see like wildlife, pink dolphins, like river dolphins. Mm -hmm. And I spent two weeks sleeping in a hammock, just like on windowsills, letting it all flow by. I didn't have to bike. I ate. I I, I was usually the only foreigner there. I was just traveling on local river junk boats, sometimes with a lot of people, sometimes with like no people, like it really depended on like the boat.
0: So then up into Central America.
1: Yeah, eventually made my way from into uh, Ecuador and then uh, into Colombia. Mm-hmm. Colombia, stunning. The people were amazing. But there's a problem. There's no road from Colombia into into uh, into Panama. Okay. There's a ro- no road for a reason. It's all got to do with drugs. Right. They can make a road. Yeah. We can make a road anywhere. Yeah. And if we want to, they can make a road. And so. I had a choice: Am I going to go Pacific Coast? Am I going to go East Coast? Well, if uh, like my trend was just to do the hard thing, so I went Pacific Coast, yeah. Which is basically the North Coast is very controlled and maintained, and West Coast is still like the secret drug trade, mm-hmm. all all the stuff happening, people moving stuff. Took me forever almost two weeks to get from Columbia to Panama on again, a series of like, re- one was a boat that was the size, like your uncle's like kind of like fishing boat, like 25 horse. You've seen my
0: uncle's fishing no, boat? No,
1: I don't know what your uncle's, but <laughs> everyone has an uncle fishing the crappy boat. They're just like, like, and, uh, this guy uh, just, it was the only one authorized to do this next leg of the journey and, uh, in the town. And mm-hmm. he had, he was pretty much blind and, uh, he had just fallen off his own bicycle. Uh, had like a bloody lip when mm-hmm. I when I met him. I was like, "This is the guy that I need to entrust to get me to the next stage of the journey." Yeah. Um, but we, did, we, I did it. Spent like a part of like a a week or so on a, on a beach, just like not knowing. Everyone just didn't know when the next how I could get to the next place. Right. So like, I don't know. I don't know anyone's been there. I'm like, okay. It's like there's a guy. I'm like he comes every Wednesday. I'm like. <laughs> It's like it's it's now Thursday. Like, yeah. okay, who's this guy? And I just ask everyone in town. And there's this mm-hmm. guy. I'm there, and like I would go drink with people to find out information. And then eventually, I I you know found my way into Panama.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was a great series of events on that little fishing boat. There was a bunch of uh Panamanian police officers that boarded well they didn't really board the boat. One guy got in mm. but they searched through everything, looking for drugs, looking for anything. And like the guy with the the eyes, uh he gave him like a loaf of bread as like a like a peace offering. Like, yeah. don't take my boat. Yeah. I'm the only guy. He was the guy. He was actually the guy. He wasn't yeah. doing it legally. Yeah. He was the guy. But then yeah, made my way up through uh Panama and through
0: all the Central American countries, um, did you stay central or did you pick a coast? Picked pick a coast. Picked
1: pick the Pacific Coast. Yeah, yeah, uh, beautiful. I got to go through because of that. Went through. Went through Nicaragua and Costa Rica yeah. and uh, El Salvador, Honduras. You have to go through Honduras. It was Actually, also, I again misunderstood country yeah. in many ways in terms of like people, crime, all the yeah. things
0: like that. Um, Where'd you stop in Costa Rica?
1: In Costa Rica, I stayed. Like I was very much the coast. Yeah. Um, so no big cities. It was, actually, I don't remember a lot of the town names. It was just like, it seemed just like one rolling beach yeah. coast, a lot of beautiful
0: wildlife, a
1: lot of... Um, Howler monkeys. Yes. Very noisy. Touquians. In the morning, morning camps uh, were very noisy. Yeah. Um, people, the
0: loudest uh, animal in the world, apparently.
1: Incredibly loud. When I was in, in Belize doing that dig, there were monkeys all around us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how you wake up and like, you think they're outside your tent. Yeah. And then into South uh, El Salvador, every country having their own like amazing food, amazing different like kind of like I, I was kind of hustling at this point. Yeah. I've been on the road for a long time. Uh and ready I learned all my lessons. Yeah. Ready to be home. Yeah. Ready to just be done this thing and uh get back home. In El Salvador though, like I never seen someone talking about shotguns in, in 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 Paraguay. There's every every store had a man with a shotgun. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what I something I missed here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a remnants of political upheaval. Yeah. Um, but then uh, eventually into Guatemala and uh, onwards into into Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, and this is kind of where it started of me being passed off from people. Uh, like that. I say in Mexico, I was passed from like person to person. Everyone seemed to have a cousin in the next town or like a, a friend or like yeah. they knew like the. They called him the president. Okay. I was like, I'm going to meet the president. No, it's always just like the mayor of the next town yeah. that knows someone uh, and they want to like me to do an interview or me to like stay at their friend's house. Um, it was awesome. It was the most... Uh, besides like it 's a different type of hospitality uh okay. than Afghanistan, like places like Sudan that I found there, but it was like old friend coming home every day mm-hmm. um, and i just had to get there and bike there and there 's always someone kind of waiting for me I have like coordinates and uh bike into some town eventually biked across uh the border in the United States you through you know what we call like all cartel area, I saw a lot more guns, a lot of you know you see like a movie where everyone's just on the back of a truck with like a big M, whatever you call it. I don't even know the yeah. name. Um, a lot of that yeah. um, in Northern Mexico. But I always ask and people always, you know, I, I say, hey, hey, tranquilo, is it okay?
0: Like kind of thing. Like, mm.
1: like ah, it's good. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Like,
0: I'm like, okay. That's all enough for me. I'd ask a lot of people. Now, did you find playing the card of how long you had been in your trip helped you?
1: I think, it lo- I, think I look like it.
0: Right. <laughs> I think I didn't, I think I didn't. I you didn't have to say no, it. No, I
1: didn't have to say it. I looked like shit. Uh, I uh, had a beard. Um, like I had a suntan that you could see from space, like my leg, you could see from space. Um, like it would go like that. And it's like, that's how long I've been on the road. Yeah. Like kind of thing, like white and just like scorched uh, skin, sun soaked. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you just, and I knew a bit of Spanish at that point. I could, Kind of communicate. It also looked like I didn't have anything to take. Right. Like I look like you know, I rub that guy and get his dirty underwear. Yeah, and I'm gonna get like well, I mean, he's sick. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like well, what yeah, am I gonna yeah, get? Yeah, he yeah. looks gross and stinks. Yeah. So, yeah, his bike doesn't even look good either. This yeah. crappy bike. <laughs> my own, my like friend has a better bike than him. So like that was nothing. No one wanted anything from me. Everyone just like wanted. What are you doing? Let's sit down and have a meal. Yeah. I once ate fifteen tacos. Because at that point in my trip, I could just hammer food. Yeah, I'll bet. And I was I was hammering, I was riding 130, 160 kilometers a day. And sometimes I would be like 15 days going. And so I was just biking at that point, like seeing how far I could push it. Yeah. Uh, got to cross the border of the States. A, fi- a friend that I met in uh, South Korea was at that border in Brownsville, the uh, United States. And so you know i crossed the border by like 5 minutes i was at their house and it was like we just picked up where we left off stayed there for a couple of days like rested from like this like whole th- I, I i when you cross the border from mexico into united states it mm-hmm. is like a, it's a different world yeah It is like uh i felt like i haven't seen like I, you went went through europe but it doesn't look like canada it doesn't yeah. look like the united states this looked like i was home in some yeah. ways like little suburban homes and stuff like that even at the border and so recuperated there but then made a beeline for home yeah. and uh i biked across the united states from texas where i crossed in brownsville to canada uh, i crossed the detroit to windsor and it was i think it was 23 days so it, i huffed it and
0: i think i had two days off so you go up through like what yeah. Na- Nashville way or I went, ten- yeah. Tennessee Yeah, Tennessee I went, through Tennessee. Up, I went yeah. up through Ohio so I went Cincinnati. everywhere where
1: no one kind of like just like it everyone travels you know in like the borderlands right like not the borderlands like the coast coastal yeah. region yeah. usually you got your California New York whatever um, Florida and all that stuff so I went through like Texas and Arkansas mm-hmm. and then into um yeah into into Tennessee and uh like I was a while in Texas of course that was the main portion yeah. into like Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. Yeah. So that kind of route just like
0: yeah. I've done a fair amount of road trips down to uh Tennessee, so that's my route, Detroit, Detroit awesome. down to. That's down where I, I, took, I took
1: time off in Memphis. Yeah. That was a uh, cool town. That yeah. was, that was like where I had like my I, day off
0: and like Couple of beers and yeah I haven't been to Memphis but I keep people keep telling me I need to go because I love Nashville and it's not that much farther down to, ne- no, to down to Memphis it's pretty
1: well lateral yeah it's yeah. almost it's uh yeah it'd be like Nashville is where you got to go for music right yeah. um, but Memphis has its own like pretty wicked scene
0: yeah it's got a great music scene it's still yeah. a little more bluesy than country yeah,
1: yeah Nashville is a con- uh, country yeah. that's right yeah so I got out to see some music for, for the, the bit of time that I was there and then Puffed it up. So I had friends throughout. It's like sprinkled along. I was kind of basing my route around like, oh, I know that person or they know that person. Yep, and yep. then made my way into Canada. And uh, from Windsor, it was pretty well straight shoot to Toronto. Met up with, uh, so my the my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, mm-hmm. she stuck with me through the whole two years of the trip. She visited in South Africa and, and Italy. And then she was now, you know, we were together again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she flew, met her at the airport. I literally got in to there, the day that she was flying in, mm-hmm. so that was the re- like eventually, like when we, I was doing in Central America, she booked the ticket, yeah. And I was like, That you know how long I have still have to like, so that was the hustle, right. To the states, that was the hustle, right? And uh, yeah, made it there the day of awesome, meet her at the airport, and then uh, bike the rest of the way back here to Smith Falls, Reno Ferry, through a whole like just again, past like a old dirty rag yeah. to a whole. <laughs> All, all the family and friends, everyone. You know, kind of,
0: it was like a homecoming every day. So about two years for the whole thing. Now, early on the trip, you said it was uh, 2014. So you arrived home in 2016? Got home in 2016. Yeah. Got home. Uh, but you said you didn't yeah. move back until a year ago. Yeah. So what's the in-between there?
1: The in-between there is I started to speak about the bike ride. Right. And um at first off like we got home like I have nothing left in the bank account pretty much it's pretty much spent you know a couple couple dollars in there uh and then I'm starting my life with my my new wife yeah. we got married and uh you know I had to you have to start somewhere right and you know, I was there a
0: home base what what was home what was home
1: base so it started out was was I I lived here for probably like 2 months yeah at my parents' place and started to figure out what's next. I applied to like random jobs. I was like trying to make it as a speaker, launched like this website and then wasn't happening. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I didn't spoke. I, I, had, I had spoke like a couple places on my trip. I'd yeah. done some interviews but then I was like, okay, I don't have a job but you're a teacher. So I went, applied to, a job in Northern Toronto. Uh, north of Toronto, I got a job in Newmarket, got a job as a, at a private school as a teacher. Okay. Then through there, I kept thinking, how can I, I want to share these stories. And so, I kept like looking for something that was aligned with me. And so, on the bike ride, when I first started out, I started fundraising for We Charity. So, if you've read anything in the news, obviously, that is no more. But I got an opportunity to work with them as a public speaker because I fundraised for them on this bike trip. It was a perfect thing I should be doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I went to work with them. I worked with them for four years and it was an awesome job. I traveled all over North America and specifically in Toronto. So I Mm -hmm. lived in Toronto and Scarborough for four years after I got that job. And then COVID hit, public scandal, nothing worked out for anyone in in the end. People internationally, uh, anyone that worked for the organization, anyone in government, everyone lost. So it was a lose, 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 lose all around And uh, that in that moment was for me, was like, you need to come back to home base and restart Mm -hmm. and figure it out. And that's essentially what led me back here was kind of the restart.
0: Yeah. All roads lead to home. All
1: roads lead to home. And so we had a condo in Toronto Mm -hmm. that didn't make sense anymore during COVID. Yeah. It was actually before my time with we ended that I decided we me and my wife decided we were going to move back. Yeah. So it wasn't like that was the thing. Mm-hmm. It was like we're going why are we here? Yeah. Why are we here in this condo in Toronto? You work online. I yeah. we don't need to be we don't need to be here. We didn't have any like ties to the city and so get out. Sold the condo, bought a lovely little home here in Smith Falls mm-hmm. and couldn't be happier with nice. being back here in home base. Everything it Seems right. So,
0: you think you're here for the long haul then? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm we're here. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Awesome.
1: That is kind of like, it makes the most sense. What part right. of town are you in? I live over on uh, Merrick Street.
0: Cool. Yeah. Just over behind the Independent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you got here then, you got here during COVID?
1: Yeah. I got here during COVID. During it was, COVID. it was September 20.
0: Yeah. So yeah, last year. Yeah. Just over a year ago. Yeah. Okay. So, that's, that's got to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Oh. For lack of a better word, frustrating to not be able to spread your wings in your new town the way you want <laughs> to, because you're so limited by COVID. I don't know. Yeah. How's it, so, how's it? I don't know. You tell me, how's it been?
1: Yeah. So when, when everything ended uh, with, uh, you know, working with we, I, I needed to restart, right? Mm-hmm. And um basically restarted with, I couldn't do anything, right? I'm restarting during like it was probably like the low end of a wave or something like that, or like Mm -hmm. a lockdown or I can't even remember all the details of what was happening, but I was like, okay, I've been trying to put out the book of this bike ride for years. Mm -hmm. I had speaking agents. I had like book agents. I had people that were helping me within the we organization to get it out there and talk to some, and everything ended with when COVID stopped, everything stopped for everyone. So I decided that needed to be the time where I was, that was going to be the thing that I got done. Right. (laughs) And I need to finish that thing uh, that I've been working on in the background. Like I had like a bit of time here, holiday there, you know, late night there, got it done, put that out. And that was my thing, but I couldn't launch it anywhere. There's no, I couldn't, I launched it last November. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's coming up on almost a year that's been out. And overall, considering I had nowhere to launch it from, the town was amazing mm-hmm. in terms of like the reception people going out to get it giving it for holiday gifts right. um yep. i cannot thank the amount of people it wasn't and i felt good because it wasn't just like oh like my aunt bought three or like like that kind of thing like yeah it was actually people wanted to buy it which uh felt like a cool thing and i gave yeah. a lot away yeah um uh, and as i felt like it wasn't like a thing i wanted to ever make money from mm-hmm. I'm not making no one makes money from a book unless you're <laughs> unless you're uh, like whatever, like you're famous uh, Obama or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I got it out there and that was going to be for me like that stepping stone to like doing my own thing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been doing since doing a lot of random contract work. I launched my website. It's called markqspeaking.com. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, I teach public speaking through a uh, zoom Essentially. Yeah. Um now it's able. I have some like people come over, you know, you wear a mask and all yeah. that stuff and uh it's all good. I also do like random things, like I've built websites for people. Yeah. I uh you know, I've built several of my own. So I like some some people are like, Oh, you build a website? I want one that looks like yours. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll I'll do that for you. Or like, for example, like some coaching stuff or like it really is dependent upon what someone wants and mm-hmm. uh that's kind of how I base that. I also do larger contracts with... uh, I have a contract coming up with a college, like doing leadership workshops and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So some of it's virtual. Um, I have a contract right now with Lululemon as well. So it's it's all kind of like a part of what I've been working for Mm -hmm. is to do really was... When I was working at Wee was when I was working, I enjoyed working there. It was awesome. But yeah. I learned a lot from that experience to be able to do my own thing yeah. in terms of like, like actually having the confidence and mm-hmm. the know-how and then be able to navigate how to organize everything.
0: So I've got your book here. Yes. The Cycle of Life, The Power of Saying Hello. And from talking to you and hearing the story and, 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 and knowing the title of the book, I, I feel like the not too much of a stretch to say that the underlying tone of and message of the book is, is connecting with people. 100%, yeah. That's the whole thing. When it comes to you, you as a speaker, uh, what do you feel like? What's, what's your sort of core mantra? What, it, what are you really trying to impart on people? What's, what's, what's the key takeaway for if, if I, if, if you're speaking at an event and, and trying to imbue some, some, some learnings onto people.
1: Great question. It depends on one, what, is if i'm allowed okay let's we'll just say i'm allowed to say whatever i want you know, we'll, we'll just go with that one yeah. sometimes people are like oh we want you to talk about this like just talk about your bike ride we don't want all like the motivational stuff or like yeah, whatever yeah.
0: no no carte blanche yeah it's, yeah it's, so it's your
1: bag it's it would be essentially like say hello um other things would be the main thing would be small steps lead to big impact yeah or small acts of kindness or little things we do every single day can yeah. cha- actually change the world i think yeah. that the little pieces of what we you know leave behind ultimately i think what we want to do is leave the world a little bit better than the way that we found it mm-hmm. and so and we have that opportunity every day and i'm not i'm not a great person in terms of like i'm like doing saintly things every day mm. um but i think that's what drew me to big brothers big sisters I, what drew me to move back home, be closer to family, what drew me to, you know, want to do the bike ride in the first place. I think we can do these little things and like work towards these larger goals every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it might not be clear. I don't think it's clear mm-hmm. in any way. Like we're all making it up every day. Let's be yeah. honest. Like yeah. we like have like our routine. That's our routine is it psych like, safe, but I'd like to break out of that routine. Yeah. And that's when you actually learn. That's when you grow and that's when you mm-hmm. do something knew that you shouldn't do and then you make a mistake and all that stuff so the core message say a lot of people step outside your comfort zone all those little pieces that mm-hmm. you know sometimes we forget and you can step outside of your comfort zone in a small town you yeah. don't need to be like go to like you don't need i like kind of found after the whole thing you don't need to bike around the world to do like new and fun things <laughs> like you yeah. don't need to do that i had to get it out of my system yeah and do it to experience it and we all need to have those own personal journeys. So mm-hmm. that's what I've found with like writing the book. It's like the next thing I needed to do was do that. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm just looking to do right now the things that I enjoy doing. Yeah. So I have the luxury to be able to say yes to things and no to things, Yeah. Um, which is a huge privilege yeah. in terms of like, but I feel enough hours spent doing one thing, then you get to say no to certain things and yes to certain things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that for sure. So it's all about cumulative impact then. I th- I think so, like doing little things every day and yeah. doing big things every once in a while. Yeah,
1: like little things lead to big things, right? Like that's the way I saw the whole bike trip was not like one, like I recorded every day how far I went, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like at the end of it it was 35,000 kilometers. but that happened over the course of it wasn't just one day. Yeah. And it's easy to make it sound like that's one thing when, that you did, but it's actually every, every day you got up and you did that thing, and then eventually you rode 35,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Or like someone, you know, they're working towards, you know, uh, becoming whatever they want to be. Maybe like mm-hmm. they, they were like starting in a kitchen in a small town, but they have dreams to become like the head chef at like a Michelin star restaurant. But you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, that uh, you got to start, right? Yeah, that's That's, that's, that's the, the thing. thing and that's what I found and what I saw in my own experience was as soon as I started to tell people about it then I was doing it yeah but if you just like keep your little secret yeah. you have like your little your your dream and you're just like I want to be that or like you don't You, if unless you're telling people about it and yeah. you're like setting dates setting timelines for yourself or like you know telling your best friend that you're gonna see at the bar and he's gonna say hey remember when you're gonna do that thing you didn't do it you mm-hmm, feel like oh mm-hmm. embarrassed and shitty and like <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's like those little things that you yeah do. you
0: gotta you gotta put it out into the universe yeah you gotta you gotta make yourself accountable to somebody else hopefully not just yourself it's a lot easier to let yourself down than it is to let other people down for oh, some yeah. reason
1: we're so hard on ourselves and we're like, we like, l- you know, love to give ourselves that like, you know, you're not good at that. Like you screwed that up, but like you wouldn't talk to someone else the way you talk to yourself usually, yeah, yeah. you know, in your head, you know, mostly, you know, some people do, but you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but essentially, yeah, like it's the daily actions. It's the the self-worth that you have for just starting to tell someone about th- about mm-hmm. something.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome, Mark. The Cycle of Life, The Power of Saying Hello is the book. We've got it here, here at the Arts Hub. Yep. Uh, And Christmas is coming up, folks. It is. So come buy some friggin' books. Please do. Um, I I assure you, as long as we talked about it, there's a lot more in these pages here to find out about these stories through, uh, how do you say it again? Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, yeah. This country I've never heard of. Yeah. In this book by Mark... Quatrochi. Quatrochi. you got Quattrochi. it you got it and I, I didn't get it i screwed it up mark <laughs> i was really going for it i was hoping from the beginning yeah. to the end that i would Quatrochi. yeah Quatrochi. i've said it three times now i won't get it wrong again i promise yeah. mark thanks so much for
1: coming out no and, th- and thank you so much uh for having me it's been a pleasure i know i've seen listened to a lot of the other uh, yeah. people you've had in and so awesome. i'm, I'm yeah. in good good company i think um from uh, some of the other uh, people you've had in from town, and yeah, honestly,
0: I, I only invite good people yeah, on the
1: show. It's great; it's my rule. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and and just to loop things back to the beginning, if you have some free time in your hands and you want to volunteer, big brothers, B- big sisters, big brothers, big sisters.
0: That's what brought us together. Yeah, right down on uh, where is it? Is it on William. It, yes, eighteen William Street East, and uh, you can go in
1: there to uh, Jules and. Uh, if not, give them a call. You can uh, volunteer
0: uh, or, always, as always, donate support online. You can donate through their uh, webpage. And look, f- look out for the bowling event. We'll uh, we'll share those dates with you. You can go bowling. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Mark Quattrochi. Nailed it. I knew it. Nailed it. promised. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate having me. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 10, folks. I had such a great talk with Mark and uh, go check out Big Brothers Big Sisters. Go check out his book, The Power of Saying Hello. It is for sale at the Arts Hub. And thanks to the Arts Hub, Howard Kelford and & Dubois, and to Bakery, and the Smith Falls On The Roll program for helping present the Christmas show that we are bringing to you with Amber McLean this year. Third annual Amber McLean Christmas concert at the Station Theatre. Visit ticketsplease.ca for tickets. Thanks, everyone. See you next show. This has been episode 10 of On a Smith Falls Podcast. Take care, folks.